Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is a More Than Just podcast production. Welcome to this podcast, season four, episode 45. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hey there, kids. And we're also joined by Hamil Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Going pretty good. Alrighty, so we'll dig right in. We got lots of, lots of stuff to cover today. So, uh, first of all, John Winston played Lieutenant Kyle on the original series and also played Commander Kyle on the Wrath of Khan on the Reliant before, you know, the very beginning part there where Chekhov and um, Captain go down to um, SETI Alpha 5. Wait, is this SETI Alpha 5 or SETI Alpha 6? I can't remember. Anyway, and then uh, George Samuel Kirk appears in the original series in Operation Annihilate, played the, the day he died, played by, um, he was killed by, I, I call it a sunny, flying sunny side up egg, I don't know if you guys <laughs> don't remember that episode, but it had the sort of parasites, they're just, they look like rubber eggs to me, um, played by William Shatner himself with a mustache, which explains why George Samuel Kirk has a mustache on the, uh, on the current version of uh, Strange New World. And, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once was filmed between January 2020 and March 2020. So it was not a pandemic film as I, as I thought maybe it was. It was still like, you know, things were still open when they were filming that. Um, and then if you haven't seen it yet, it's set to stream. And this is for Jaime, of course. Set to stream June 7th and then Blu-ray will come out on June 14th, 2020. And uh, the reason why I mentioned that some of my friends had seen it, well, they must have gone to South by Southwest where it was introduced or rolled out in March of 2022. And just as a side note here, I didn't put this in the, in the notes, but I went and saw it on uh, IMAX uh, on the weekend at the Cinesphere, which is where, strangely enough, that's the last episode of Strange New World was filmed. And uh, man, that place is run down. Holy cow! I couldn't really get a good picture of it, but like, it's pe- paint's all peeling. It looks like a government, you know, institution that's been neglected for what twenty years now, Jonathan. Yeah, uh, I, I was wondering if maybe that was like because uh, it looked like a an abandoned place on the episode, and I was like, wow, I bet you that's they didn't have to do much to make it look like that. Not much. They just they did Photoshop some clouds in, and that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, or a second and third dome. Yeah, but even even like the part where they're walking across the the roof part, I noticed all the tiles were all peeling up and looked like it needed <laughs> roof work. That totally looks like exactly like what the place looks like these days. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of nice that it's immortalized because they are going to demolish that thing before long. Are they? Yeah, because they want to do the whole restoration down there. They're talking about doing a whole development down there. No, oh, really. I, I I remember like I was a kid when that I think twelve when that came when that opened up and I remember going. I had the T-shirt and and they had all these really cool films and that's where you you, you know the sound of chainsaws off in the distance in the in you know the forest. Hmm. You know, that sort of echoey chainsaw off in the distance kind of sound. That's very Canadian forestry kind of sound. That I remember hearing that at some of the sort of films that they did there. And they used to do like the multiples, you know, they, uh, it's one of the styles they did in the seventies where they have like these multiples framed shots of parts of, uh, I think, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, that one called, uh, 
the North of Superior movie, the one about that was the original Cinesphere film. There's a there's a couple of scenes in there where there's like you know they they you know they have, you have this big giant and you know IMAX screen and they like frame a small regular size almost like postage stamp kind of view. It was a very much a style back in the day. I remember seeing those those films there. But anyway, coming back to the IMAX version of Everything Everywhere All at Once, I got a it's it's interesting because. I wanted to go back and see it because I wanted to sort of because I, I missed parts of it. I was very tired that day, so I missed as usual. I missed parts of the parts of the film, and I wanted to go back and sort of put it back in context. And what I noticed was sometimes the framing was full screen IMAX, like you know, like the full uh, what is it four by five or four by three ratio, and then sometimes it was like letterboxed, like as if it was like you know, like a, like as if they weren't using a IMAX camera, and then other times it was it had the black bars on the sides. So I think depending yeah. on what um, verse she was in, which multiverse, you know, or, or whatever, yep. where the characters were in, they changed the framing of the IMAX movie, which is really kind of cool, kind of interesting effect, you know? Yeah. And, it, and something that you wouldn't really notice, you know, unless you were looking for it like I was, you know, it, but it might be something that would subconsciously affect you, you know, so you, your, your brain would go, oh, this is a different view of things, right? So kind of cool trick. You know what I mean, right? By, by, you see that in movies all the time now. Yeah, yeah. With IMAX. But only you see it in IMAX because you can't get the cut anywhere else, right? So, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm going to throw over to Jonathan. Jaime and I are going to go take a break while he uh, tells us what we <laughs> talked about wrong last episode. Listen, you know, if I take a week off, this happens. Uh, okay, just a couple things to fact check from last week when I wasn't here. So... You guys were talking. By the way, about, we commented on the fact that you weren't here, and we were making mistakes as we went. Just for the record. Uh, yeah, it's it's fair. You guys were specifically saying, you know, who would know this? Jonathan. He'll fix it for us. I was like, all right, yeah, fair. Uh, okay, so Daredevil, the new TV show that is apparently coming to Disney Plus, is going to be showrun by Matt Corman and Chris Ord. Those two did not work on the previous show, so these are new guys. You guys weren't sure if they were old, the old guys, guys who did the last show. They did not. Thank so, you know. Uh, She-Hulk. So you were uh, talking about She-Hulk. The new She-Hulk trailer dropped, and uh, was she, you know, back and forth? So in the comic books, when she originally debuted, she could transform back and forth between a human and She-Hulk. But in a very famous graphic novel, uh, one of the first sort of high-format magazine-sized graphic novels that Marvel did, uh, She-Hulk is exposed to a very high dose of radiation, and that leaves her permanently stuck as She-Hulk. So she's no longer able to become Jennifer Walters anymore. Mm. So when she when she transitioned back and forth before the big radiation burst or whatever, or that that story arc, did she like she could consciously do it, or only when she got angry, like like Bruce Banner? No, she was always a, a lot more lucid, and I think the explanation was that. You know, she was never really, she was exposed to his blood, not to his uh, level of radiation. So it wasn't necessarily the rage that triggered it for her. It was okay. more something she could do. Uh, and I, I checked my reference material, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. We were talking about how big she's supposed to be. Uh, in the uh, last episode, you guys were talking about how big she's supposed to be. And the book lists her at six foot seven, 650 pounds. That's a lot of pounds. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is she's supposed to be, like, very muscular, very dense. Mm. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heavy bones, strong bones. Yeah, yeah, I think all of it is supposed to be, like, yeah, solid as a rock. 
Uh, we, you guys were talking about Doctor Who and the the fact that uh, Donna and uh, and the Doctor from that era are coming back. And uh, yeah, so I included the link here that we can put into our show notes outlining the history of Donna Noble. And yes, you are correct that in fact she did have Doctor-esque powers for a while there. I think it's a bit of a stretch to say she was the Doctor, but she certainly had all the abilities of the Doctor for, for a bit. Right. And she was originally the runaway bride. And, and she was, yeah, yeah. Like, and did she wear the bride's outfit for like several episodes, or just? I think just she wore it for the first few, and then she makes the decision that she's going to stay, and then she's not anymore. Right. Okay. And uh, Jaime, you were mentioning the uh, creator of the Fairly Odd Parents and fishing for the gentleman's name. I think you got Harmon, uh, but his, his name, first name is Butch. Butch Harmon. Ah, got it. Yeah, this is the Harmon's hips cool. thing we were talking about. That's the, exactly why, right. Yeah. Why uh, animated moms are so thick with the double C. <laughs> Which, by the way, made me laugh my butt off. So I, I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan of the podcast. All right. Well, we're heading to the headlines, and you're up again, John. Here I am. Yeah, so I, I just sort of threw a whole bunch of the Star Wars Celebration news in here, and we can sort of uh, chit-chat th- through a bunch of this. So, in no particular order, they have announced one, two, uh, let's see, one, two, two new shows. They dropped a couple new trailers, a new video game, and a new Lego special. So, uh, we'll try and tackle all this in, in some order order um so first and foremost new live action show star wars skeleton crew was unveiled at uh, on day one of star wars celebration mm-hmm. this was that on the 25th by the way uh it was yesterday so it was the 26th, 26th. yeah okay. yeah right uh and then today was day two and there's more news that came out of that so skeleton crew was announced so jude law is going to be the star so that's a nice get for the disney marvel folks jude law and he is uh going to be headlining this series that is supposed to launch in 2023 and it is going to be uh, it has been created and run by John Watts who famously we were just talking about a few episodes back the creator of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and the trilogy of Spider-Man movies he was the one who backed out of being in doing the Fantastic Four movie and we were like huh that's a strange thing for John Watts to do well now we know what he's doing next so uh, John Watts is going to team up with Chris Ford and John Favreau and Dave Filoni and they're going to do this uh, this new show and it's apparently going to follow a group of 10 year old kids from a small planet who get lost in the galaxy far far away Ooh. and uh, it takes place after Return of the Jedi and in the same timeline as Mandalorian and Ahsoka so, yeah, new ser- new series cool. sounds sounds cool. Thoughts? Sounds cool. Yeah, it does. Um, and I was kind of thinking about Jude Law as an actor because HBO Max has emailed me and says, "Hey, guess what? Secrets of Dumbledore streaming on HBO Max starting May thirtieth. That'll be Monday from now." And uh, I I canceled my subscription probably half a week ago because I was only there for the Batman. I'm kind of considering resubscribing to get not necessarily Secrets of Dumbledore, but really trying to get to the stuff I didn't get around to, like Barry and Winning Time and a few other things that uh, Jonathan had recommended. So maybe oh, I love uh, that I have I love that I have this influence on your life. This is very exciting. Yeah, it's like mm, well, maybe you know we got the the long uh, holiday weekend for us. It's Memorial Day weekend, so it's a three day weekend for us. I'm like mm, maybe I'll do that then. There you go. Yeah. Uh, So we've got uh, also got our first trailer for Andor. 
the uh, series that is a prequel to Rogue One, which is in turn a prequel to the original trilogy. So it's a prequel of a prequel. Try and choke on that one for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does look pretty cool, though. I must admit, I like. I, I really did like the Andor character from Rogue One. Just the idea of a character working on the side of light who has to live in the dark is always a good one. You know, it's good in spy movies. It's good in, in you know, all those sort of type of men of mystery kind of movies. But the 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 sort of general thing about the rebellion has always been like, well, they're the good guys fighting against the bad guys who are the Empire. And I liked that, like, when they introduced Cassian Andor in Rogue One, you know, one of the first things we see him do is realize, like, oh, I could probably escape here, but my source is going to get caught and he's going to rat me out. And he just kills the guy Yeah, yeah. In, in Rogue One. And it tells you everything you need to know about him in that one scene where he's like, you know, I'm a man with a mission. I've been tasked to do this and I will do whatever it takes. And and we see that come to fruition, which, you know, I mean, spoilers, you haven't seen Rogue One. Frankly, if you haven't seen Rogue One, why are you listening to us? But, you yeah. know, in the end, he fulfills that to the point where he's willing to die for the cause. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of like it gives it also gives an interesting side to the rebellion that that they're not that they will do what they have to do. Right. Well, that some people certainly will, right? Yeah, not just him, but like, you know, it would have been like, you know, you all think of Princess Leia as being white and pure and whatever, and yet she would have been, you know, as general, telling, instructing people like Cassia Randor or um, that other goof, uh, Poe Dameron, yeah. to do what they need to do, right? Which, you know, you know it, they're, in, they're at war, so they have to do what they have to do, right? They can't, they can't be, you know, goody-two-shoes all the time, right? Yeah, but then my interpretation was always, it was him and, like, the one general that he was working for. It struck me that they were the ones who were willing to get their hands dirty, so she wouldn't yeah, have yeah. to, right? Right. Well, no, exa- that's exactly the point, though. It's like, like, uh, like the song from Pink Floyd that says, you know, the old man sits to the back and tells the kids at the front what to do, right? Yeah, exactly right. Um, what did you guys think of the trailer? Looked good. Yeah, I I do wonder if they'll pull a uh, Better Call Saul for this as a prequel, and that maybe he will start out relatively idealistic and squeaky clean, and progressively have to you know shed a little bit of his uh, his cleanliness to get to the point at which we see him in Rogue One and give him an arc that way. Yeah, actually, I like that idea. That's that's good. See, you should be writing for this stuff. <laughs> they better call Saul, but Star Wars. Okay, go. What's the next <laughs> <Okay>, one? <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah, better call Saul with lightsabers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I do uh, wonder if there will be sort of cameos and, and appearances from familiar faces. I wonder if we'll see KT K two S O from uh, his sort of well, famous robot sidekick. Speaking side of kid. which, speaking of which, good segue, John. Well, I tried to set you up as best I can. Thank you, thank you. So, and this was a bit clickbaity when I first saw it, and, and I don't think I, I don't I can't remember if I got this before the day came out or it was just yesterday. Um, but yeah, this this clickbaity title talking about. How um, Cassio or Endor series is a little different than than perhaps fans would have thought. In fact, that they've only talked about two seasons, and so we're not really sure if it's only going to run two seasons or not. But that Alan Tudyk, who plays K2SO, is not going to be in the first six episodes. I guess if they're going to do them six episode seasons like they've been doing, hmm. um, and he's going to be in the second one, and they really haven't talked beyond that. So it's kind of it was kind of a um, the article talks about how the the uh, 
the showrunner was was kind of spilling the beans in a sense that way, right? Mm. Um, we don't know at this point in time. I mean, Alan Tudyk is not connected to the project, so it's a pretty safe bet he's not going to be in the first, you know, first uh, six episodes, right? So, but that's not to say that he's not. They're not pursuing him for the second. He, I mean, he's busy doing Resident Alien right now, and. You know, obviously, you know, doing guest spots on. Uh, yeah, how much? To, I mean, really, you can record that on your iPhone. You don't have. I mean, he's just doing a voice. It's not like he has to be there. You know. Well, yeah. <laughs> he has to emote. Oh, know? right, right. They have to pink, glue ping pong balls to him. But I was pretty sure that uh, who's the lady that played the other robot um, from Fleabag? Oh, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Yeah. Yeah, they were actually on, apparently they were on the set. Oh yeah, in, no, I think they a, were. They were wearing the the ping pong yeah. balls so they could act off them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. After, over to you, John. Okay. Mandalorian. Uh, Mandalorian, yeah. So we weren't sure. They had a bit of a weird uh, um, announcement a couple weeks back where they were saying Mandalorian will come late 2022 or early 2023, and which was a little cryptic. And I believe this last season debuted on like the 29th or 30th or something like that, right? It was, it was really late in the year. Uh, but they did finally confirm at uh, Celebration this week that Mandalorian Season 3 is coming in February. So we know we know we're going to get more Grogu action. It's, uh, it's not until February. So, But isn't Grogu off with Luke right now? Oh, no, he came back. No, because he Book of Boba Fett, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Right, true. Yep. Um, the other thing they announced was a sequel to uh, Fallen Order, Star Wars Fallen Order, which is a very popular uh, video game which is going to be called Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and it is the next chapter in the adventures of uh, Cal Kestis. So uh, lots of people keen on this one, and of course it's going to be on the next generation systems. So yeah, looks uh, cool. They've got a little teaser trailer up, which uh, you can have a look at in our show notes. And uh, yeah, it looks pretty cool. And you can't run this on PS4? You have to have a PS5? You, I don't know. They they may release it for both, because PS4 is still a, a valuable system for them, so they might put it out on both. Right, or they might put it out just on the five and say, "If you want to play, you can go to the five. Isn't that how they sold the four? Yeah, <laughs> the well, that's how they sell every generation, battle, right? They start putting out exclusives, yeah. so you're you're stuck with it. Uh, more Star Wars stuff. Uh, a new Lego Star Wars special was announced. It's Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation. A very funny piece of art up with the uh, Death Star looking like a beach ball sitting on the beach. Very funny. And uh, a new kids themed show, Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures, which is not only going to air on Disney Plus, it's also going to air on Disney Junior. So it's clearly aimed at a younger audience. So it's definitely not going to cover Order 66, right? I, you know, Young Jedi Adventures to me did not say pew 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 and chop 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 to the little ones, but yeah, oh, okay. you know, <laughs> never know. Yeah. Your blast shields down, folks. That's right. Uh, also part of this announcement uh, bonanza at Celebration, even though it's not Star Wars, they dropped the first trailer for the new Willow Disney Plus series, which uh, I know I am pretty excited about. I was always a huge fan of the Willow movie. And uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of thrilling to see uh, Warwick Davis and, and the magical world that he, uh, he first graced us with back in the 80s. And and um, mm-hmm. I, I got to admit, I'm kind of excited about that one. Yeah, he now looks like the wizened old uh, w- wizard or whatever. Well, it's funny because Billy Barty played like the wizened old old man in the first one, but yeah. he looked like he was yeah. like a thousand. So, <laughs> yeah. Sure. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, it looks it looks epic and grand and beautiful and and you know I, I must admit I'm that's as high on my radar as as anything from any other genre stuff that we're that we're fans of. I'm I'm probably more excited for a Willow series than I am for a new Lord of the Rings series. So do we know if Kevin Pollock is coming back to voice the little people? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. And and uh, are we going to see Malcolm. the very Malcolm. quiet Mad Mardigan? Like uh, mm. yeah, yeah. How, how are they going to how are they going to play that? Yeah, my son could do the voice, right? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, and yeah, of course, it's uh, it, the famously the um, the antagonist from the first one was uh, Jody Whaley, who ended up marrying Val Kilmer. <laughs> so they're no longer together. I don't know if she's going to be on there. Or he's going to be on there, but yeah, mm. could be interesting. Cool. Yeah, uh, another trailer dropped this week. We got a longer and a little more plot focused trailer for Thor, the Love and Thunder uh, version of Thor. And this time we actually got a look at Christian Bale's Gore the God Butcher and a little bit more of um, the the female version of Thor that we, we just got a cameo of in the first trailer. So right. um, what were your impressions, guys? What did you think of Gore? All that time ago, I didn't watch it. I'm watching it now. I'm, I'm not familiar with the comics character, but looking at this, uh, the few... Other media properties came to mind. Uh, 300, or the very heavily stylized scenes that he's in that, that look like a totally different film, so it'll be interesting to see how it fits in. And the, uh, you know, the God Butcher thing kind of felt a little bit of, like, uh, Kratos from God of War, the PlayStation yeah. games. Yep, yep. Yeah. See, yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's just like another Christian Bale, like, holy crap, that's him kind of role, you know? Yeah, I saw a very funny meme going around this week on the socials with uh, the you know the line from Batman is you know if you live long enough you see yourself become the villain and they had a picture of Christian Bale as Batman and then as of Gore and then a picture of Michael Keaton as Batman and then a him of the Vulture and they just kept like you know alluding to the fact that they just keep capture, capturing old DC villains and making them in, uh, DC heroes and making them into villains in the Marvel universe, which is funny. But uh, yeah, I mean, it looks. Uh, it, I will say, as as I've I've read that whole arc in, in the comics, which is is well worth the time to read. Uh, it's funny because in the comics, the gore arc is very much a Thor story, like the traditional Odin son Thor, um, and then two years later is followed by the female Thor Jane Foster storyline. So here they're kind of mushing about five years worth of Thor stories into one two hour plus movie. So it'll be interesting to see how they sort of work some of those comic book aspects. Obviously, they still have not done a literal comic book adaptation. They always sort of, you know, take the take the basic notes and, and start playing jazz with it. But it'll be interesting to see which elements they keep and which they don't. Again, uh, we talked about in the last trailer how they were... There are some scenes in there that are verbatim from the comic books from uh, Asada Beach's art. It'll be interesting to see how much they, they actually lift from the story versus what they uh, make up for, for the MCU. Well, yeah, uh, it looks interesting. I just watched it in silence, but, you know... Yeah, I mean, Taika Waititi's movies tend to be fun and funny and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, I mean, Gore in the comics is scary as hell. He is not like a messing around kind of character. He is everything he's advertised as. It'll be interesting to see if if he piles up the body count in the movie that he does in the book, because in the book he is 
horrifying. Uh, a couple quick ones. The star of the next Hunger Games uh, was announced. So uh, <laughs> this one made me laugh. This is the guy who played Billy the Kid. So Tom Blythe is going to play the young... Uh, the young Corleanus, Coriolanus Snow, who was played by Donald Sutherland in the previous movies uh, and is, was the star in this prequel novel that came out a couple years back called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Uh, so, yeah, more more Hunger Games are a-coming. I, I don't know. I must admit, I, I, I got the audiobook of this but have not had a chance to listen to it. It always gets bumped down my priority list, but... Um, I don't know prequels. I mean, we're, we'll talk more about prequels when we get around yeah, to our, our main we're section here. Prequeled out. Yeah, prequels yeah. are kind of uh, boy. There's a lot of them, and very few of them are done as well as as I would like them to be. So, I don't know. I'm I'm taking a wait and see approach on this one. It'd be nice if they find new stories, like rather than rather than trying to drag us into these you know prequel kind of things all the time, right? Yeah. Um, Although, again, as 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 an advocate of let's get over the prequels i would like to guard against that by saying sometimes sequels aren't so good either or is it skywalker <laughs> yeah. so yeah uh, uh coriolanus by the way is is a famous ballet i wonder i, not, I don't know the story because i you know, carol would know better than me but uh it's one of the ones that she goes and sees quite regularly like it's you know hmm. you know they have like what five stories in ballet that they do over and over again and that's one of them <laughs> something mm-hmm. that and something about a duck or a swan or something well, I wonder what the point of of um, giving him the name Coriolanus Snow is. Is that's anything related to to the ballet? Hmm. All right, there's your you research. Know, if you're, if you're a ballet year. fan and you're listening to the show, please feel free to tell us because you know, <laughs> otherwise we'll never know. Like, unless I remember to ask Carol. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing I've got is the uh, yeah the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was a uh, a movie that came out oh god like 2003, so almost 20 years ago. With uh, Sean Connery, of course, as the star, they are rebooting it for Hulu. So, again, it's a good concept. It's an amazing book. It's Alan Moore. It's so good. I highly recommend reading the book. It's he basically took all of these um, public domain characters from famous literary stories and imagined if they were to get together and form a superhero team. So Captain Nemo and Alan Quartermain and the Invisible Man and uh, Mina Harkness and and uh, Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde. And it is like very darkly funny, twisted. The, the movie that they made played it very straight. It was like, we're a superhero team. We do superhero things. And it was not good. I hope that if they're going to go to the effort of making this, that perhaps they might take a little bit more of the spirit of the of the book in which it was intended, but well, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Cool. All right, so this main part of the show, we'll start talking about something Star Trek related, even though we just spent like an hour talking about Star Wars. <laughs> we'll go back to Star Wars in a minute. Just, you know, bear with us while we, while we just, you know, go back to the real purpose of the show. Um, and we're talking about Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and I'm going to do the recap as quickly as I can so we can get to the the main part of the show, which is, of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, just kidding, of course. So we start off, uh, Memento Mori is season four episode, uh, season one, episode four, uh, show of Strange New World, and uh, we start off with Security Officers Log Stardate 3177.3, and that's uh, La'ana talking, and... Um, 
is talking about how they're they're on Air Enterprises on their way to Finibus three to bring supplies and upgrades, uh, air scrubbers, and that kind of stuff to the planet uh, where these uh, researchers are working. And uh, of course, it happens to be Starfleet Remembrance Day, which is kind of interesting that you know Monday is Memorial Day in the states. But uh, and so most of the most of the crew are wearing these pins, which commemorate uh, the remembrance of fallen comrades and you know ships that have people have given themselves given the ultimate sacrifices they like to call it. And uh, yeah, so uh, and we see uh, Ohura and uh, walking down the hallway talking the hammer, and she's she's currently working in Enterprise as, as she's a cadet and gets to try different parts of the ship. And uh, he's uh, Hammer's sort of doubting her, you know spouting off in her quick answers that, to the questions he's giving her as implying that she hasn't studied it, at which point she just rattles off a whole bunch of technical jargon, prove that, in fact, she has done the reading that he'd expected her to do. And um, he sort of disses her again, or disses cadets in general, saying they all want to, they all see Enterprise as a path to the bridge and command. And she sort of says, no, no, I'm, in, I'm really enjoying this. And he goes, well, you'll have to prove it to me. And so obviously that's, that's the, the, the B plot of this story. And uh, La'ana runs into Una, and uh, she's not wearing her remembrance pin, at which point uh, Una remarks on that. And, you know, I think uh, uh, La'ana implies that, you know, she's been through such a rough time that, you know, she tries not to think think about what goes in the past. And and she does a bit more exposition throughout the show, which I wasn't going to touch on, but the sort of reason why she doesn't, you know, uh, mince words and she's very blunt with the staff is because she, she doesn't feel that, you know, uh, she's been so battered and bruised that she just feels being just straightforward and blunt with people is the way to go. So they arrive at the planet, and there's no welcome wagon, as uh, Christopher Pike says, and uh, so they pay, they hail them, and of course there's no response, and they're trying to figure out why, and there's a brown dwarf nearby, and they wonder if that's jamming the signals, and Fox says, no, it's because the comm satellite is not there, it's been destroyed. So there's no way to, to communicate with the planet, so... Una and Laana and a few other people run down to the beam down to the planet to investigate, and they find that there are there should be hundreds of people. There's like nobody there, and they look around. There's blessed marks. Uh, it looks like conflict, and uh, like as if the the uh, crew or the the, the uh, scientists have sort of escaped the planet somehow really quickly. But then they find there's like all kinds of blood, and bodies have been dragged away. There's just basically blood stains everywhere. And so they this, they uh, make the assumption that they were attacked and, and you know brutalized and that kind of stuff. And uh, meanwhile, uh, a ship appears in orbit and it's kind of cloaked and it's not got a Federation signal. And and uh, you know so uh, Pike says you know we're beaming you up because we don't know what these is the intention of the ship is and doesn't look good. So we do that. The ship turns out to be uh, full of uh, scientists that have escaped from the planet uh, and they're on a cargo vessel and they because of the the it's meant to carry uranium and radioactive materials they they can't can't transport um like they can't use the transporters to get them off so they have to figure out so or captain pike uh suggests they connect the tube like so they can transport people like a bridge kind of thing to manually have people walk off the ship and and onto the enterprise and so they look around uh before they do that uh spock you know Scans around, finds there's no warp signals, no other vessels, and no signs of other vessels in the area. So as they're as they're transferring people, um, Laana starts talking to a couple of the survivors and meets a little girl who apparently saw them or or may have seen them, and she asks, "What what did she uh, see?" And 
the little girl makes, well, she didn't really see them, but she heard them make some sort of clicking noises with, with their tongues. And so she, she makes the noises. And of course, in Lahana's mind, you see this is triggering a memory in her. And she immediately stands up and says, scan for polarized EM signatures because, you know, they've, they're obviously using some sort of cloaking device or something to mask the fact that they're there. And she says, immediately raise shields. And uh, because uh, Spock does find that there is, in fact, a holographic uh, representation of a moon, I think he said. And uh, so they they realize that's where the, the ships that attack the planet are hiding. And um, she's, she's, uh, Lana's like convinced it's the Gorn because, you know, based on the, the clicking noise and, and sort of her experience of having been attacked by the Gorn in the past, you know, she yells at them to raise shields. And of course they can't because they got this tube attached to them to the other ship. And so of course, then the, the Gorn starts attacking them and, um, they realize that the Gorn was, was waiting for them to expose themselves to like, Oh, um, yeah. I'm skipping ahead a bit, but but that's why they got attacked, is that the, the Gorn was waiting for them to let their guard down and, you know, be, be more, uh, more conscious about trying to rescue these people than to really defend themselves. But in La'ana's mind, she keeps seeing this smiling face, this sort of character she imagines smiling at her. And um, and, and this is something that... Uh, so meanwhile, you know, they, they get attacked, there's all kinds of damage, and people dam- are injured on the on the... Tube, so Chapel is running around. Nurse Chapel is running around rescuing people, and Una turns out she's got huge. You know, she got hit with shrapnel or something in her in her abdomen area, so she's like bleeding, and you know she's injured, and she's got to go to sick bay or something. And she says to uh, to Lana, "If you're okay, you need to go up up to the bridge, and they need you up there." Meanwhile, um, Emmer is uh, securing something in the in the bay. I look down further down to see what it's called. I think it is. I kind of called it Thingy for a while because I missed the name of it. It's an AP350 or an AP360 uh, device, some sort of, I don't know, reactor thingy that, that, you know, they just leave loose on the cargo bay for some reason. I don't know, maybe just because it's a plot point. Um, and it makes a good it's called the MacGuffin anyway. 2000. Yeah, the MacGuffin 2000, that's the one, yeah. They have, you know, harness points. They could strap everything down, but they're like, nah, that's, that's cool. We're, we're the guys that keep all this crap in the back of a pickup truck, not strapped down, not covered with a tarp, and just going down the highway at, at full speed. That's that's what yeah, they do in the show. Yeah, why not like a like an area where they can contain it, damage or whatever. But you know, anyway, it's it's a good MacGuffin, as it were. So uh, um, they're there, and uh, um, uh, yeah. So uh, Hammer needs to secure this thing on the cargo bay, and uh, he needs her and him are on the cargo bay trying to do that. Um, and they've been attacked, you know, the, the ship get, gets attacked and, and uh, they get uh, blasted a bit more. They can, they've, the ship, the engines have been damaged. They can't get, they can't get to warp, partly because of this, this uh, thing, this MacGuffin that he has to fix. And uh, I love the, the, the um, autocorrect here. It says, can't fight the horn. Um, so they can't, the, uh, Laana is insisting that they can't fight the horn. They're just, they're just relentless. They'll just, you know, completely, you know, uh, they won't, ca- they won't stop coming. And, and, uh, part of their strategy is to, is to just use up all your resources, you know, by making your life difficult to the point where you're tired out and then they can just take you over. So she's insisting that they have to, f- they have to run away and find cover. I had a and, girlfriend and like that once, just saying. What's that? <laughs> just used you up, wore you out and eventually took you oh. over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. Anyone treated else? You, no. Treated treat you like a god. She basically <laughs> took care of you until you were Thor. Is that right? <laughs> yes, something anyway. like that. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, yeah, and then um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out which one that was. Hmm. Anyway, 
So yeah, so so the the decide that they've got the, the, the brown dwarf on the edge of the, is uh, somewhere they can go and hide and you know so P- Pike's asking around like can we not just go hide inside of that thing and what, what's the danger of it and, and uh, Spock points out that it's on, the, it's on the edge of a black hole of course it is right and so you know they have to be really careful about how far they go into it and the danger of the, the red brown dwarf because it's a collapsing star is that um, it's going to have a huge gravity pull and could damage the ship as well. And uh, the sensors won't work inside there, and neither will the shields. And so Pike's like, yeah, it's perfect. Let's go there because, you know, um, it, it'll also affect the Gorn's uh, sensors and, and engines and ships and whatever. And, of course, Ortega's like, oh, yeah, let's head into the great giant cloud of death. And why not, you know, sort of thing. So that's where they head off to. Um and they that as they're as they're heading down there, they keep getting blasted by the by the Gorn, and uh, one, the cargo bay gets hit and and damaged, and uh, uh, in in the melee or the the collateral damage, as it were, uh, Hammer smashes his hand, so he's got a you can't use his right hand kind of thing, and so he and Uhura are are trapped on, and of course the door's blocked by all the debris and stuff like that, so they can't get off, um, and so they have to solve this this figure out the MacGuffin thing, figure out why it's make it so it can't blow blow up they need to secure it and of course um if it does if they don't it'll be like an atomic bomb going off kind of thing and uh so um uhura is going to have to uh be his eyes and ears and hands as it were to to try and you know get this thing under control meanwhile over on in sick bay uh they're all damaged and you know and, and battered and bruised and and they've got all their equipment is down and and uh Mbega says you know it's basically triage uh, the med, bay, med beds aren't working. They can't synthesize, you know, uh, resources like um, a plasma or things. So they basically need supplies in order to survive this uh, situation, right? And um, Una shows up. She's, you know, worse off than she thought. Um, and uh, she, they examine her stomach and find out that she needs to, she needs surgery right away. And uh, you know, luckily, Nurse Chapel has studied, you know, archaeo what they call archaeological archaeological medicine. And uh, so she and Ambega decide that they're going to sew her, sew up uh, Una's wounds, you know, the old-fashioned way like we do now, right? And uh, they're sort of summarizing, you know, what kind of weapons they have after being attacked. And they've only got one torpedo and they have no weapon. So they're basically, you know, SOL as it were. So, and, uh, you know, again, Alana, who's like the harbinger of, of doom and gloom, uh, explains that the Gorn are monsters and they won't give up. And you know the Federation, you know, wants to you know get to understand the their their the new people and and enemies and you know befriend them. And she's like, you can't you can't do that with the Gorn. They're just you're just prey to them, and you know they're just going to keep coming and, and attack no matter what you do. And uh, so Pike says, well, we need to sort of get our get uh, start thinking about what we're going to do. So we need to get we all need to all get creative. And and just as they're leaving the the ready room. Um, he says to Lana, how are you doing? Like, how are you holding up? And that kind of stuff. And, and he's like, is there anything you can remember about your experience with the Gorn? Because she's one of the few humans that's actually lived to see the Gorn. Most people who live don't, most people who see the Gorn don't live long enough to talk about it. And um, so she, she says, well, you know, like I do have memories, but they're all fragmented because there's a lot of repressed memories in there. And, and this is a part where she explains about why she's so bitter with people and just straightforward and doesn't you know tend to smile and and tell happy stories when she's talking to the crew um you know she she said uh, something about like the uh the uh, the enemy doesn't expect her to have emotions so she doesn't so she doesn't have any or she doesn't have any feelings goes 
Um, and then, so they're in the they're in the middle of the black this uh, this uh, brown dwarf's cloud, and um, nothing's working. And um, they decide to uh, they're sort of uh, spitballing what what they could do. But meanwhile, on the on the, I skipped the part where I went back to they go back to the the cargo band, of course. You know, or is trying to key into the pat into the keypad to try and um, stabilize this thing. And of course, it's not working. So just you know, we just that's something they just show real quick. Um, so back on the bridge, you know, they're trying to think around things and Spock says, you know, we can, we can use a navigation, uh, which is you, which has, um, equipment, not quite, they don't call it sensors, but has these, these, this equipment to basically, uh, figure out their position in the cloud and, and stabilize them and that kind of stuff. And he says, you know, we could sort of rejig that to create a sort of rudimentary sensor and we can basically, we can locate where the Gorn are, right? And so he goes, uh, way to be creative, Spock. And so they, they, as they do that, they realize that there's a, there's a single Gorn ship that's heading straight for them. And, and, you know, they're kind of freaking out a bit. And uh, Pike's like, stay, stay the course, don't move, just stay where you are. Don't, you know, don't, don't make any sudden moves, as it were. And the ship basically flies right by them. And so um, Pike realizes that they can see them, um, but the Gorn has no idea where they are. And so... He says, you know, what we'll do is let, let's get that torpedo ready. Well, we can't fire the torpedo in this cloud because we have no idea where it's going to go, and, and it's not going to have any sensors, so it could just go off and random things and might even come back and hit us. So uh, Pike explains, we're not going to launch it. We're just going to drop it on them. So we'll, we'll position ourselves over top of them and drop it. And Can we um, talk about gravity in space just for one second? Well, well, hang on. It's not. It's not. It's not so much. Yeah, they they, they do have to push it. Yeah, you're right. Well, well, yeah, but don't forget. Don't forget. They're they're actually in a gravity well, right? So there is mm-hmm. gravity where they are, right? They're just they're using their navigation sensors to keep them from going but into. But isn't this a massive vortex? Like, uh, I I I would really like if there are any uh, physics professors physicists? who listen to our show. If you could please yeah. explain the probability of this, I think it's. Oh, there's, there's a whole lot of there's there's a whole lot of dis- suspension of disbelief. The whole we'll get into we'll get into the sort of the, sort of the more innocuous stuff in in a little bit too. But yeah, so so you remember Jaime was always talking. Jaime talked about on a previous episode how the ships are always facing each other in the same directions. They're mm-hmm. never like you know askew or coming at strange angles. They always all the you know in this three dimensional space. <laughs> You know the Vulcan ship and the or the Romulan ship and the Enterprise are always nose to nose. Yeah, and all the planets like, are on the same plane for some reason. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but in this case here, just just to satisfy Jaime, they come and they tilt at a ninety degree axis, so they're facing toward they're facing downward, I guess into the. They don't really explain this very well, but in, in the show, but now that I think about it, they're facing towards the the where the gravity is, and they put themselves on the other side, and they put the Gorn underneath them, so they open the 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 torpedo door. Yeah, poppy door. Open the torpedo door, and I don't know if they push the thing out, or they just sort of, like, let it drop or whatever, but yeah, it kind of just flip-flops, and eventually it actually does hit the ship and blow up. I figured, like, what are they going to do, like a remote trigger or something? I don't know. No, I figured it was, like, 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 you know, go, go flush your toilet, ball up some toilet paper, and try to, you know, hit something that's in there. Right, that's kind of what they were doing. They were they were letting the gravity <laughs> swirl it into them down the 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 black hole. Is this is this like the you know I don't know if you've seen this in bars and stuff like that where you go into the bar and and to control the drunk people's you know urine spray they put a little soccer net in there with a little ball and you have to aim to try and hit the ball into the net. Never seen that. No. Okay. Things you have to entertain males who are drunk 
folks, for those of you who, who don't know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, so they, so fortunately, they managed to, with the one shot that they had, they managed to, to hit this other ship. And, and you know, the, the sensors, uh, the, the ship disappears, so they assume the sh- sensor has been, has, the ship has been blown up. And, of course, you know, they're like, oh, that was great, we did it, yay, high five. And then they, then they realize, oh, wait a minute, that might not have been a good thing, because now the Gorn know where they are, right? And so uh, a giant ship and two other smaller uh, Gorn ships start coming towards them because now that they've they basically revealed it's like like you know they always say third on a second on a match or third on a match you know when you're you're in the trenches and you're lighting cigarettes don't be the third guy because then because then the snipers know where to shoot yep because they see the flame so they realize it's a trap and and so then they have to decide that they decide they have to go deeper into the dwarf deeper into the gravity. Um, Pike's convinced that their ship is going to be able to hold up better than the than the Gorn. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, the Gorn isn't just a standard cylinder-type ship. It's kind of this weird sort of, you know, shapey thing, like a Booker's ship kind of thing. It isn't quite a straightforward ship, right, sort of thing. It's kind of like a spiral, right? And uh, he just guesses that they're they're going to be less likely to uh, to handle the, um, the the gravity than, than the Enterprise would, right? I, I Based on what I know about physics and construction and stuff, I think the Gorn ship probably would have survived better than the Enterprise, to be honest with you. But, because uh, the Enterprise has got a lot, whole, bunch, a whole bunch of flat, you know, the, the saucer's a flat disk area, which would take a lot of, has a lot of surface area for gravity to affect. But anyway, I digress. Um, so they decide to go deeper into the thing, and this is when we learn, I don't know if we learned Ortega's first name before, but he calls her Erica, right, as he tells her to go deeper into the dwarf, and She's concerned it will they'll get squished and and you know and they decide that the lower decks uh, of the ship will be most susceptible to the squishing compression so they decide to evacuate the lower deck and as they do this the, the ship starts creaking and you know and people on their on the sick bay and all that kind of stuff and then on the cargo bay are hearing the, the metal creaking and they're all freaking out. Um, meanwhile, Uhura on back on the cargo bay. Speaking of which, uh, manages to fix the panel and uh, she's able to now um, get to the you know, figure out which of the cores are uh, ones she can replace. And, of course, she touches one, and he's like, I didn't say touch it. Just find the warm ones or cold ones, because the cold ones are the ones that they can replace. Those are the ones that are not working properly. And so she manages to get one off, and and he's like, remove it carefully. So she removes it carefully, and then she's like waving it around. Look at that, I did this. I'm thinking, you, you know. Anyway, whatever. Anyway, so so uh, they decide that uh, Pike is sitting back on the bridge, and and you know they're running out of time in terms of like the lower decks getting you know if they if the lower decks do um, uh, squish they'll they'll decompress and it'll be damage will be greater and so Pike decides to close the bulkheads you know just and as he does that one of the crew members ends up on the wrong side of the bulkhead and and gets gets dead. Meanwhile, his his ploy did work because one of the enemy ships that was nearby does manage to squish because it goes too it follows him too far into the uh, into the the thing. Now I, I forgot to look this up, but there's an episode. You know who Mark Leonard is, right? Yep, Sarek. Yeah, he played Sarek, but he also before he played Sarek, he played a I think a Romulan commander yep. or a commander on a ship, and and he and um, they attack a, a planet and. Because this part reminded me, this whole thing with the with the the other ships coming towards them and not being able to find each other, and and you know very rudimentary sensors, reminded me of that episode with Mark Leonard where Kirk and Mark Leonard's ship, Kirk is chasing Mark Leonard's ship, uh, I think into the neutral zone or something like that. But but it's a sort of cat and mouse kind of you know one uh, commander versus another commander trying to outthink each other, kind of like almost like a hunt for Red October kind of deal. 
where they're trying to anticipate what the other person's doing and, you know, sort of battle tactics. And that was very much something that they did, you know, not often, but they did that, they did that well on the original Star Trek series. And this um, sort of um, cat and mouse game that, that they played with, you know, not being able to see the other ships and, and, you know, trying to figure, you know, trying to see who's almost like a game of battleship, you know, like where, you know, like where, you know, dropping bombs where they, they think the other, the enemy might be kind of thing, you know, um, that this reminded me very much of that of that episode in terms of just the way it felt and the way it was written kind of part right so, and which is kind of like it's interesting that that this uh strange new world is taking on more of the sort of original original star trek kind of tropes right to do this kind of stuff anyway so back in uh back in sick bay they determine they need more plasma and and una's una's need surgery she's got a few pieces of scrap shrapnel in her that uh, they need to go deeper, close to her abdominal aorta. I don't know if that's a thing, or if it's just a thing on Una. But uh, is that, is that an Illyrian thing? Yeah, maybe. I think so. I don't know. It's where her, her third heart is, or something like that. Like, like the doctor, she's got two hearts, right? Anyway, so uh, they decide that they need, they're going to need to sedate her, sedate her, and she's going to need a lot of plasma if they have to go in and do like a deep surgery. And as as they're doing that, um, one of the nurses, you know yells out, hey, this other person needs plasma as well, and, and they only have enough plasma for one person. So Una, on her deathbed, um, orders Mbega to give the plasma to the other crew, crew member, right? Crew person, they're calling them on this show, by the way. And um, so then, and meanwhile, back on the bridge, Spock is, like, looking at the instruments and saying, we can't stay here, you know, any longer. The, you know, of course, I don't know. I went and saw... Um, Dr. Brian Cox talked about the cosmos a couple of weeks ago uh, in person, and he gave us a big long story about, you know, all told us all about the different parts of the galaxy and how there's a black hole. I don't know if you guys saw the black hole that was uh, published a couple of uh, weeks ago, where it was a few days before it was the picture was published. They knew they had the picture, they were just waiting for it to develop. Um, there's a black hole in the middle of the Milky Way, for example, right? And and they've taken pictures of black holes. Have but, a good night's but, sleep, kids. Yeah, but what but he, what he was saying was that, you know, before the sun, like our sun, um, is eventually going to collapse in on itself and it's going to destroy our, our solar system in a billion years, okay? So you've got some time. You can, you, can, you can afford to get the new iPhone, you know, 14 or whatever it is, if 16, because, you know, you're, it's going to be a while before your, your planet's going to blow up. It is eventually going to, you know, happen, but... In the story, this is where you were talking about physics earlier, John. The the red dwarf or this brown dwarf is being dragged into the into the uh, into the black hole faster than they anticipated it would be. Like within like, and it's they only have an hour and thirty two minutes and forty eight seconds before this is going to happen. Yep, they got huh? there just in time. Exactly. Like you know, remember the part I just told you a minute about a, a billion years before you know Earth is destroyed. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, start working on the spaceship plans now, folks. Because um, we're like, you know, Battlestar Galactica. We're gonna have to get the f out of here. Um, <laughs> anyway, wasn't that an episode of Doctor Who too? Yeah. Well, I, my favorite, my favorite thing in in um, is uh, Corner Gas. Have you ever seen Corner Gas, oh, yeah. Jaime? Jaime, is your name Jaime? Corner Gas. It's a Canadian comedy. It's about a, no, a gas know. gas station out in Saskatchewan. Anyway, one one of the the there's there's a gas station and there's a cafe, right? And the, on the cafe is a big giant C A F E, right? Like spelling the word cafe out there. And there's a big giant windstorm, and it blow it blows around, you know, knocks the town around, and it blows away the letter E and the letter F off of, off of the um, 
off of the cafe and and the, the rosie the owner of the cafe says where's my f and e <laughs> okay <laughs> never mind um anyway so uh they decide that you know that, that they can't really they need to they need to take a peek out and to find out where the gorn is and and or something like that i can't remember what this stupid this next MacGuffin was about but they need to they need to figure out they can't do it in the enterprise because the enterprise is going to get seen and the gorn will attack them and they all die and what's the point right so Laana decides that you know if we take a shuttle, we can we can go out and do whatever it is we need to do and and figure out what we had to figure out. Again, I never did get to what they could figure out. Um, but Spock says, "No, no, I'll go with you." So and of course they take the Galileo. This is the first time we've heard the Galileo mentioned on this show. Um, you know another another famous star from the uh, from the the original series. I don't know if you know the story behind the Galileo. They 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 used the transporters originally because they couldn't have a spaceship. They couldn't. They didn't have the budget to land a spaceship on a planet. That's why they invented the transporters. Well, they eventually got the budget to build the Galileo, right? And that's why that's how the Galileo came into being. So yeah, I think there's an episode where Spock was that. Another one of these sort of you know unseen you know um, enemy kind of episodes. I think Mbenga and and Spock are stuck on the Galileo down on the planet. You know, and it's sort of like uh, everybody's questioning Spock's, you know, ability to command because he's so logical and that kind of stuff, right? Anyway, so the they 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 notice again. I don't know how they notice this. I guess they're in the, the shuttle, but they notice that the the big ship, the big Gorn ship, and the little Gorn ship are sort of facing each other, and they're blasting each other with like scans, right? And they're they're trying to figure out, you know, they're, they're looking at them, going, "Why are they scanning each other?" And then and uh, Lana says, "You know, I, I I vaguely remember seeing something like those kind of lights when I was a kid, like when when the Gorn was attacking us, or a very you know, it's, it's something's coming coming to my mind, but I can't can't place it, I can't figure it out." And and uh, she says, "Hey, you guy, you sp- you Vulcan guys, you have that trick thing that you can do." Uh, which I, at this point in time, I don't know that in the original series, Kirk didn't know that that uh, in season one, Kirk didn't know that Spock could do a mind meld. That came later, right? Just because Kirk, Kirk spent too much time chasing girls in uh, Starfleet Academy and didn't study up on Vulcan physiology. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Anyway, again, it was the mind meld was another one of these sort of tricks that they came up with in the middle of the writing of that series, but or the original series that is, but. Um, so Spock, so she, Spock agrees to do a mind meld with her and, and go into her brain and, and figure out what's going on. And in it, uh, we see the smiley, smiley face that we saw earlier in the show, where Lon keep, keeps remembering this smiling person. Turns out that's her, it's her brother. And there's a big long scene where you know them on the planet and run away, run away. And anyway, but he hands her a book, a sketchbook that he's created, and she looks at it and she realizes that what he had written down was how to determine what the Gorn was saying because they communicated to each other in with light. And it was almost like a Morse code kind of uh, book that he that he uh, or re- figured out what each letter meant and decoded some of the messages and stuff like that, right? So she comes out of it and she realizes that, you know, this is how the, the two uh, Gorn ships are communicating with each other, right? So Laana uses, I, I forget what it was, like signal lights or something. She sends a signal over to the larger ship to tell her that the smaller ship had been boarded by the enemy. And, of course, you know, the Gorn can't have any any uh, uh, sign of weakness at all. So so the big Gorn ship destroys the small Gorn ship. And so they're they're all happy about, you know, having... So now they've got one big giant ship to deal with, and, and uh, they're the way they go. And so uh, back on the... On the, the um, Back on the uh, cargo bay, they decide that this MacGuffin thingy that, that Uhura and... You remember Uhura and Hammer, right? They're, uh, they've, they've finally figured out that they, they can't 
They, even though they solved the original problem with the MacGuffin, they, it's still going to blow up, and there's nothing they can do about it. So they decide that they can, they can, they'll have to get it off of the ship somehow. So they'll have to open the cargo, they'll have to empty the cargo um, bay out, and so by opening the big doors, which you know, again, it's like one of those myths that you know they talk about. You know, when you open the doors, everything gets blown out, kind of thing. Um, you know, typical sci-fi, you know, space travel trope. Um, they. Um, so they they have to put on suits and get ready for to to do this thing. But um, they deser- they determine this is another one of these these, these uh, playing with physics things. John, strap um, in. Here it goes. Uh, so they decide they need to head into the event horizon, which is the tipping point of of a black hole. At which point you cannot get out of the gravitational pull of the of the black hole. Right. So they're going to head that way, and they're going to use that to slingshot themselves. I mean. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, if they slingshot themselves through a black hole, don't they go back in time and have to like, do a whole other storyline? Anyway. Back? Um, no. They, back. If you go by what I have learned from Andromeda, <laughs> the other Roddenberry oh, series. Oh, Andromeda. Now we're going to bring another Roddenberry story? They would actually okay. be going <laughs> kind of in the future because time would dilate for them so the much that yes. they would... It stretches, you know. yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was just using the, you know, the, in, in was it Star Trek... And um, and the last episode of or last series of Picard, they basically used the sun to slingshot themselves back in time. Anyway, um, by the way, D- Brian Cox does say we have already figured out time travel. Just just you know, I'll let I'll let that sit there for a minute. Anyway, um, so yeah, and then of course you know um, more more sciencey stuff. Um, the Pike uh, talks about well, what about this gravitational redshift? What's that about? And turns out that um as you uh, go across the event horizon because light um speed and and where you are uh because of the, the difference in time in, in between gravitational pull and speed of light for a second there or for a short time it looks like the the ship has stopped moving even though it's still continuing to move and so they kind of like that gives them the opportunity to kind of play dead and of course you know uh, Pike says, well, what do snakes, uh, skunks, and possums all... Snake? Ducks? It says... not what it says here. I'm going to read what it says. I can imagine what it says <laughs> on my autocorrect. But snakes, ducks, and possums, what do they all have in common? They all play dead, right? To, to evade their enemies. So they decide to use the AP-350, which they have to get off the ship anyway as a decoy. They're going to let that, you know, they're going to drop it out of the, the cargo bay and blow up and blow up, and then hopefully they'll think that the Enterprise is blown up as in fact they're actually slingshotting away from the from the black hole. So Hammer and Uhura put on their their suits and they they strap themselves to the to the um, ship with cables. Um, and uh, as they're doing this, it's an interesting interesting part of the show because as they're doing this, um, Hammer talks to her about about how his um, race feels about death. He sort of says like in in death you or their life is about fulfilling their purpose. And once you fulfill your purpose, it's okay for you to die. And, and she says, well, what's your purpose? He says, my purpose is to fix broken things, right? And he asks her what her purpose is. And she says, well, you know, of course, based on what she was doing last week, she really hasn't figured out a purpose. And I want to go back, because I didn't think about this at the time when Jaime and I were talking about last week's show, but I just want to take a minute. I can do it now or I can do it afterwards. Let's do it now. I don't know if you remember, there was a scene where she's talking to Spock after the whole resolution of the of the, the issue last week, and Spock is talking to her about her, her role in Starfleet, and how she had said, I don't know why I'm in Starfleet, I kind of just followed my grandmother into the whole thing, and that's why I ended up here, and I'm not really sure if this is the right thing for me. And meanwhile, you know, 
cadets are killing themselves to get into Starfleet, and here's this Aurora's basically just wandered in, and you know the whole the whole crew kind of look at her kind of sideways, including Spock, you know, considering that you know thousands and thousands of kids have tried to get into the, the position she's in, right, to be a not just to get into Starfleet, but also to be a cadet on the Enterprise. And I thought that was there's an interesting parallel. I don't know if you guys ever know the story about Nichelle Nichols and Martin Martin Luther King. So in the original series, like after the first couple of episodes, uh, Nichelle Nichols, who of course was one of the first black women on television, also first black woman in a command position on an enterprise, in you know being seen by millions of people, she wasn't sure that she wanted to be in Star Trek. She wasn't sure that this was the right role for her. And she was on the she was on the set, or she was at a, a hotel or something, and somebody said, "There's somebody who wants to meet you." And she says, "Oh, okay." Well, she went over and, and to meet this person, and the person who wanted to meet her was Martin Luther King. And he said to her, "You know, I think what you're doing here is amazing. You are representing black people. You're representing women. You're representing, you know, in a position like no one has ever seen." a woman in, in a role that you're in on television in front of millions of viewers. And so that kind of inspired her to stay on the show and, and sort of gave her, uh, gave her her purpose in Starfleet, right? Which is kind of interesting because it's kind of the same sort of thing that the Sigourney Weaver character goes through on, on, um, on uh, Galaxy Quest, where she, her role is to repeat what the computer says, right? You know? Anyway. So I think that was an interesting story. Interesting story. You guys still there, by the way? Yeah. No, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the story. It's a, it's definitely it's a, a, a nice part of the history of Star Trek, right? I mean, this yeah, it's yeah. an important part of the civil rights movement too. Well, and it's also it's also uh, an important point about representation. I mean, like you know, like when you know when my daughter was little and there was and Belle was on uh, was the star of of. Um, Beauty and the Beast, she really identified with this dark-haired, you know, young girl who was the heroine of the story, right? As opposed to, you know, all the blonde princesses that you see in all the other other shows. And and the same thing with, with Quinn, with uh, Moana, who's the little Hawaiian girl, right? Um, so it, it's important to see, you know, yourself in the people you see on TV. And I think people talk about that all the time. Like, Asians talk about that with, you know, Kim's Convenience and, and Shang-Chi and, you know, um, the... Even even um, the dudes who go to White Castle, um, Harold and Kumar, right? Yep. You know those those kind of roles are important for people, right? Anyway, coming back to our story, so the AP three hundred and sixty is dropped out of the cargo bay. Of course, all the air leaves their cargo bay, and you know, of course, one of the one of the straps breaks, and Gorn has to grab uh, Oro with his broken hand. I don't know, I don't get that. But anyway, so they, he he managed to hang on to her, and uh, but as as it goes across this this red shifty thing. Um, yeah, it's a good name for it, Red Shifty thing, right? <laughs> the Gorn sees the the thing blow up, and they assume that that was the Enterprise that blew up, and so, so the big giant Gorn ship takes off, and and away they go. And and you know, Alana is still a little little miffed about the the whole experience of of this encounter with the Gorn, and you know, she's like, you know, they they're not going to stop; they're just going to keep coming. And and um, Ike says to her, you know, it'll be okay. You know, like we we will be we'll be ready next time like we won't they won't catch us by surprise next time because we'll be we'll be ready for that right uh una by the way who's you know lying on her deathbed in in sick bay kind of wakes up and realizes she's not as bad off as she should be and she looks down at her arm and she realizes that there's a there's a a, an ivy running between her and embega he's been giving her his blood in order to to provide her the plasma that she needs where she couldn't get the plasma so he's given her direct transfusion kind of thing right 
And uh, so at the end of it, Lana, um, who's back in back in her uh, her room, uh, puts on puts on the remembrance pin, and sort of the, the story comes full circle. And now she she realizes that you know, in in this conflict, seven seven crew members gave their lives, and you know they're put into the torpedoes that don't seem to exist anymore. I don't get that. But, Those might have uh, just yeah, been caskets, to be fair. Yeah, that's true. I guess. I guess. Yeah, they must they must keep like a complement of them around. I don't know. Um, but yeah, and, and she sort of says at the end of it, and again, she's closing out her log and she sort of says, you know, the last thing she says, we, we managed to beat, have a battle with Gorn and we survived. And that's how the episode ends. Da, da, da. Okay. I have, I have a, a burning question. Mm. So mm. in the discussion of prequels, which will start and continue here and continue into our discussion about, Obi-Wan. I don't ever remember owning a droid. E- about? Yeah. So memento mori is Latin. It means remember you must die. So it's, it's, you know, it's always bear in mind that your life is finite and that you must eventually die. And it ties into lawn. It ties into the hammer and Uhura story. But for me, I just keep coming back to Pike as the central character of this show. So there's a, a small scene where they're like, hey, he's like, hey, what if we went into the event horizon and what if we use that to escape? And they're and and um, they're like, uh, was that Ortegas? This is like, um, that's a terrible idea. And he's like, no, no, it's going to be fine for him. So that's the thing. Does he make gambles based on his vision? Does he think, hey, I'm not going to die here because I see how I'm going to, or I'm not going to meet my fate here because I'm not going to, you know. Is he making assumptions based on the vision that he had? Like, is he like, this is going to be fine because I know I'm going to be okay in 10 years when I when I end up getting, you know, smucked in the in the reactor exposure? That's that's an interesting, interesting theory. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if he was going to test it out, he would have been you know, on the torpedo that they dropped, he would have been on it. <laughs> like Doctor Strange Love? Like Doctor Strange Love, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, wouldn't you like again if you if you knew that that was where you would meet your fate, wouldn't you just be like, Yeah, I'm not gonna take the turbo lift. I'm gonna jump down this elevator shaft and see what happens. Like, I don't know. It just it, it seems to me like when he said that in the moment, just the way he said it's gonna be fine wasn't like the reassurance of a captain. It was more like, I've seen the future, I'm good, you know? Like Maybe most of the ship is destroyed, but you're fine. Maybe half the crew dies. Like, maybe you're making, uh, you know, your mouth is kind of writing checks, your butt can't cash. Like, I don't know. It just, thinking of what the title means and then thinking about, you know, this sort of recurring theme, even through the first four episodes of, like, Pike's mortality looming and and the accident that's coming, it just made me laugh when he was just very like, it's good, I got this. He was just like, I know this is not how I and the Enterprise meet our fates because I've seen 10 years in the future. The Enterprise is still here. I'm still here. It's fine. Hmm, Interesting. Again, I might be reading a lot into that. That one just sort of jumped out at me like a big red flag. I also really liked uh, the the conversation that Hammer has with Uhura, where he talks about uh, pacifism versus passivity. I thought was mm-hmm. beautifully written. I don't. I, I will shout out whoever wrote that for the uh, for the show. But just the idea that just because you are a pacifist doesn't mean that you need to be passive. I thought was very very eloquently put. Yeah, the whole the whole idea of resistance or or like you know 
a pacifist doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to lie, roll over and have people walk all over you kind of thing, right? Yeah, it doesn't mean that you are somebody who is, is not going to support a cause. It just means you're not somebody who's willing to fight for the cause. Right, right. Or kill for the cause. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was very, very deftly handled. Yes, that was a good part. Yeah, some of the things he says are, are, are interesting, but yeah. He's an interesting character. He's sort of uh, he's sort of the Spock of this this uh, show, right? Yeah, he's sort of somewhere between Spock and uh, and the the priest or what they call the uh, the um, nuns of uh, what was it? Kwamat. Kwamat. Yeah, the 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 candor. Yeah, he he just sort of says what's on his mind. It's it's kind of refreshing. Although it's funny, I was thinking about that as you know having. You know, now gone through four episodes of this. It's interesting how interestingly er, casual everybody is. Like they're all just throwing around each other's first names, and yeah. it does not which feel is, which, unlike the the original series was a bit more very much more formal, right? Yeah, I mean, more sort of like a naval ship, right? As you'd expect, right? It, it, they they were kind of treating it like it was the space navy, whereas this is more like a science expedition. They're like, sure. You know, Chris is in charge, but that's just like Chris, you know? It's not like Mr., you know, Captain Pike. It's just Chris, right? It's just funny when, you know, he's, he, as you say, he mentions, he mentions uh, Ortega's first name and just some of the stuff where they're going back and forth where you're like, okay, this is kind of weirdly casual for a, for a you know, theoretically militaristic ve- vessel. I mean, they are a science vessel, but you got a lot of explosives for a science vessel. Well, and also the politically correctness, like like the part where they like somebody actually, honest actually says that a crew person has died. You know, I like, heard that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's like you know back in back in the 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 days, and I don't know if it's like this in in the navy now, but you know they would refer to, um, I think they refer to um, uh, in undiscovered country don't they call one of the lady officers mr at some point like mr like savick mr savick yeah mr yeah exactly they used they used the term mr to speak to them you know as because that's what the title was it wasn't it wasn't meant to be like the whole idea was you called them mr because they're not meant to have a gender in your mind right you know um, although i guess person is a politically correct way of saying it i mean it's kind of funny how the, the pc sort of sensibilities have changed our our language right noticeably like i would have human would have been what what i would have said not meaning to say that it's a gender thing right even though it is a gender specific title yeah i i think it, it struck me because i was wondering about it when they when they redid the opening of course they they did the opening to reflect you know that but it's it's no one not no man right yeah so Jaime, in in the, in the history of the american national anthem that you know have they ever changed the words the national anthem, yeah. Oh, Jose, can you see? Like, you know, are, are your baseball seats good? <laughs> um, I don't know the answer to that because it it doesn't. If it does change, it doesn't change often. So, so in my lifetime, the Canadian national anthem has changed at least twice. Yep. Right. And and every time I hear it, I'm like, what? You know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting that that you know. I I mean, I get like they they've taken the God reference out of our. I think nope. they, they took the, no, we still say God. It unfortunately, we oh, still we? it's okay. still it, even though it's an anthem for a country, we still uh, add yeah. religious overtones to it. But does the but is this that that uh, I think it's the third it's or all of us verse. instead of all of, in all, all our sons. Our, yeah, it used to be right? all our our life sons or all our sons or whatever. Yeah, yeah. All of us command. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's all of us command. So like we all have control over the country. Give your head a shake. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, we are a republic. For which it stands under under the queen? Uh, well, yes. Technically. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway. I, but I, I like I like where the show is going. Like I said, sort of said, like the parallel between, you know, um, like someone, like they're definitely borrowing some sort of ideas. Like I think last week, I didn't quite catch it when I watched it, but when I thought, when I reflected on it during the week, and then I, again, I saw... Ohura having her moment of I don't know why I'm here kind of thing reminded me of of the Ohura or the Nichelle Nichols story, right? Yeah. And and the you know the because I watch the show and then when I do the when I do the recap I watch it again and I kind of fast forward through just to get the salient points. But um, the 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 conflict in the in the the gas cloud, you know, the brown gas brown dwarf gas cloud um, of how they have to rethink know how things work like they don't have sensors they don't have you know they don't have weapons you know uh, they don't have a cloaking device because they haven't you know kirk hasn't stolen it from the romans yet um but you know of course wait and see they break that one right but um you know the the kind of things that they do oh and the part i didn't also talk about was was coming out of the mind meld because uh laana and spock share consciousness he she realizes that he's recently lost michael burnham because we actually hear Michael Burnham's voice in the in the in his in his thoughts, right? Or if you caught that, yep, yep, yeah. So, but but I like I like the way that they're kind of borrowing from those sort of naval battle kind of scenarios that they they kind of covered in the original original series. Which those those episodes were much more like science fiction stories back in you know short stories that you would read back in the Pulp Fiction days, you know, where it wasn't you know it's kind of just you know how one commander takes on another commander not knowing anything how that other commander is going to think and act and whatever and you know, strategizing about that because if you think about it if you watch that show it's kind of like kirk could have let the mark leonard ship go right like he could but no he decide he, he he has to pursue them and he you know outwits them and he, he ends up destroying the ship right in the episode and and that's kind of like you know when you think about it that's you know at, at what point do, do you just sort of say let them you know, let them go because or are they going to come back and attack you again? You know, like, you know, sort of thing. Like, that's something that you would do in a 60s show and you wouldn't necessarily do in a 90s or 2000s show, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm you know, it, again, they tried to tell more moralistic stories, I think, yeah. back in the day where, you know, yeah. the, 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 the evil are punished. It was a simpler time. We didn't have the internets. We didn't have, you know, you know people people watching television, you know, were... were like they, it was very sort of twilight, twilight zoney in that sense too. Twilight zone was very similar to that kind of stuff, right? Moral, moral position stories and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what do you mean? He's he's white on one side and I'm white on the other side. You know, we're completely different. What could it mean? Yeah, exactly. But you look the same to me. What's a metaphor? All right, you ready to get into the Obi Wan of it? Yeah, let's talk mm-hmm. about Obi Wan Kenobi. All right, I will. I will try and power through because we've got uh, the first two episodes of the uh, Obi Wan Kenobi series on Disney Plus dropped uh, and dropped simultaneously and dropped early. It came out uh, 9 p.m. Pacific time at midnight uh, for the the East Coasters, which was uh, a pleasant surprise for some. Although personally, I had to go to bed and get up early, so I didn't didn't watch it till today, anyways. But um, did awake to lots of people talking about it, which was kind of funny. So, episode starts with a flashback. Well, first it starts with a recap. If you if you felt so inclined, you could have a recap of the first three uh, prequel movies. Yeah, actually, that reminds me. I did want to talk about the the recap before we get into this. Okay. Did you not notice that most of the recap 
cover w- w- it w- was from the last 15 minutes of Revenge of the Sith. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, the, what was the rest of that movie for? The hold my beer moment of uh, yeah. part of the of the whole trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and really, that's the bulk of what you need to know. Although there's certainly some stuff in there that they are showing to you because they're telegraphing some stuff that's going to happen. It's by no coincidence, are we seeing uh, Liam Neeson and, you know, like there's, there's some, there's some foreshadowing in the stuff that they deliberately put into that. Uh, I was waiting for his voice to come voiceover to come in. Yeah, right? it will stay tuned. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is he signed on? Do you know? Nobody has confirmed it, but I would wager uh, uh, one kidney on, on that one. So, right. Well, maybe it's kind of made you Barrett's, you know, computerized voice is going to do it's it. It's quite possible, although, you know, again, Liam, can you, uh, you know, ha- go and walk over to a recording Here's studio? Here's a bag of and... money. Here's a bag of money. Record this on your cell phone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we'll make it all sound all spooky and ethereal. Um, so anyway, we get the little recap of, of the first three movies, mostly obviously focusing on the Obi-Wan moments, but also uh, the the fall of, of Anakin. It was I almost would have liked it if, and I know that the Never the Twain Shall Meet, but I really would have liked it if they had put in a couple of moments from the Clone Wars cartoon. Yeah. I really yeah. felt like that was a moment for it where, like, we've talked about it on the show previously, but the, the Clone Wars cartoon does an excellent job of redeeming the original, tril- the, the prequel trilogy and making Anakin a really interesting character. So it was interesting. I just, just before we started recording, I was floating around YouTube, and I noticed that there was an an interview from yesterday with Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, and they had them in the middle of the, you know, the pit with all the, the Star Wars fans around, and they spent, like, most of the time just cheering at them, right? But they asked um, Hayden Christensen an interesting question. He said, what, did, what do you think about where, coming back to do this role? And he says, you know, it was really interesting to sit and watch, because he, he studied uh, Clone Wars and Rebels before coming back to do to reprise his role of you know breathing in a, in a back to tank right but um spoilers for today's show but um he it was interesting that he talked about having gone because i mean when when he was playing um anakin skywalker even though he we all knew or everybody knew that it was going to transition to darth vader at some point you know like you said the the clone wars specifically and and a little bit of the of the um the rebels cover and, and expound on his character much more like you said like you know him having ahsoka as, a, as his padawan and 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 being a general in the army and all that kind of stuff and working you know working missions and and being a little you know headstrong in terms of like you know like obi-wan's always trying to like i can't control that guy he just goes flying off and you know solves problems and and you know anakin skywalker's um approach to um conflicts was just to jump in and start you know whipping his, his lightsaber around and, you know, getting the clone guys to attack, which is, you know, it's something that you don't see happen in, he's very much a solo person in, and no, no pun intended, but he's a, a solo character in the prequel movies, but in, in the, uh, in, in Clone Wars, he's very much a general, he's a very much a leader of men, right? And, and really, the, again, it's the, it's the relationship that you see with him and, and Ahsoka, and even the relationship where he, that he has with R two, and again, you really see more of the of the the real relationship with him and Obi Wan that isn't always antagonistic. That there is that brotherly, you know, uncle father or uncle nephew kind of yeah. kind of love between them. And it's just it's yeah, they did an excellent job of redeeming the character. And as I say, as I watched that that preview, I thought 
I get what they're giving you. They're giving you the greatest hits, and especially for the mainstream audience. But it really felt like that was an, an opportunity to to tie in some of the beautiful work that they did there. And I, and I get why they didn't do it, but I, I really felt like that would have been a perfect spot to say, hey, you know what? The Clone Wars mattered. The Clone Wars series is important. And, you know... Just well, especially since you have the, yeah. the what do you call the uh, the the bad guys in this one? Uh, the Inquisitors, targeting. yeah. Inquisitors, yeah, exactly. What I was asking last last week when when we were talking about the, or two weeks ago when we were talking about the trailers, you know, the guy with the sort of saucer head, uh, the, yeah, like him, like he was definitely in Rebels because I mean the Grand Inquisitor was there as well, but but there was him and the and the the female um, Inquisitor that that went out fought against you know Darth Maul and. Yep. And um, yeah, so in the in the cartoon, Ahsoka, right? we, we see the fifth brother and the second sister. Here we saw the fifth oh, yeah. brother, and we saw also the third sister. And then we later in the in the second episode, we see the fourth sister. But how many of them are there? Do we know? Uh, I don't know what the grand total is. We see we've seen some of them in different. Uh, we saw some of them in Rebels. We've seen them in uh, Fallen Order, Star Wars Fallen Order, the video game, and, and they've been in the comic books as well, and as well as the expanded. Um, into but the that's book how stuff. they're known as first brother, second brother. Yeah, there's the Grand Inquisitor is always the Grand Inquisitor, and then there's yeah. there's the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. I think we've seen as high as. I want to say six, but I, I may be mistaken. I'll, I'll I'll circle that one for fact check for next week. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, the episode starts with a flashback. We're back during Order 66. We're at the Jedi Temple. We see some younglings outside with uh, Jedi uh, Master showing them some moves. We see the door come open. We see the, the clone troopers come in a blasting. And uh, she's quickly trying to, you know, take the kids and rescue them by running through the middle of the building, which yeah. you guys were already outside. Like, I realize you're a long way up, but... There's got to be a better way. There's just got to be a better way. Anyways, uh, so she's trying to get them through. She's trying to keep them safe, this group of younglings. But uh, in the end, she gets killed, and we are left to sort of wonder what becomes of these younglings, although um, we'll, we'll talk about those theories maybe later on. We then cut to uh, 10 years in the future. We are on... Tatooine, and we see uh, a, a ship, a black ship, descending onto Tatooine. We see the Inquisitors, and they uh, sort of walk... Three Inquisitors walk into a bar, and uh, the Grand Inquisitor is, of course, there. We recognize him from his appearance in Rebels. We see the fifth brother, and we see the third sister, who is also named Reva. And uh, they walk in, and they start uh, sort of putting the putting the... The pressure on it's a it's a little bit like the opening scene for Inglorious Bastards, where you know, just talking is scaring the heck out of everybody, and uh, so the Grand Inquisitor starts talking about you know this is how you hunt down a Jedi. The Jedi, it's in their nature that they're going to try and help people. It, their their cause, their their vows are like a plague to them. They just can't you know it's like an itch they have to scratch. And if you wait long enough, they'll show up. And and uh, of course you see the, the lightsaber marks on the wall. And you know he sort of hypothesizes what happened. You know this this. You know, Jedi couldn't stand seeing these people bullied and had to stand up for them. And of course, word travels through the galaxy, and, and that's why they're there. And, uh, and sure enough, this you know, they uh, Reva throws a, a throwing dagger at the face of the proprietor of the bar, and it's stopped by the force. And then they 
look over and of course they see that it's this younger man and he's clearly either a, a former Jedi or former Padawan and he manages to somehow elude the three Inquisitors which we may have to circle back on also but um, so yeah he takes off we then cut to uh, a crashed I, I think it's a Purgle uh, which if uh, you guys have or have watched some of or all of Rebels you will recognize Purgles they're these giant flying space whales for lack of a better term it looks like a purgle has like crash landed on tatooine and and they're treating it essentially like a mine they are are just basically slicing off pieces of this purgle every day and you know so we see that that obi-wan has left his his you know life as a jedi behind him he's just a humble butcher he lives in a cave he goes every day and he works at this butchery where they pay them poorly and they treat them badly he's living this in anchor head too by the way yeah. i don't know if you caught that yep in anchorhead yeah. and uh and he you know he's got this this uh isn't that where luke was going to go to anchorhead yeah. and get i was going to go to tashi station and get some power converters um yeah. so we see uh that yeah he's just got this kind of crap life he goes back to his his cave uh we get our first little clue there that there's this this not droid that he doesn't own that uh tells him whether or not people have been in his space during the day uh this jawa comes by and uh he purchases a toy from him, which looks like a, a Skyhopper, which is, of course, we see Luke playing with that same Skyhopper in the original uh, Star Wars A New Hope. So there's a nice little tie-in there. Uh, he goes, and we see him, you know, after one of his normal days, he goes and he checks in on the uh, the Lars family farm where Uncle Owen and Aunt Brew live and are raising Luke, who is now uh, 10 years old. And he is, you know, uh, watching him, you know, pretend to be a, a pilot. He's, you know, jumped on top of their their uh, sand igloo and is pretending to ride it like a like a pod, like his like his father would have. And, uh, you know, and then we see him leave the toy behind. He leaves it just outside the farm for uh, for for Luke to have. We see Obi-Wan on his way back to his his humble cave and he notices that somebody's watching him. The same Jedi that we meet at the beginning of the episode steps out and says, you know, oh, I I thought it was you, Master. I, 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 you know, I've been looking for you everywhere. My name's Nari, Uh, you know. Hey, what are we gonna do now? Want to want to join me? Let's go overthrow the empire. And uh, Obi Wan's like, uh, Yeah, no, I'm not that guy. I, my name's Ben. I'm just some guy. And Nari's like, no, no, no. Like, what what happened to you, man? You were like General Kenobi. You were like the big guy in you know in the the Republic. Like, what happened? And he's like, Nope, I'm just I'm just some guy now. Go away. And he's you know he alludes to the fact like you will bring heat if you're here. Luke can't be found. Bugger off. And so, of course, Nari seems pretty uh, disappointed. And he, he makes a point there by saying, like, you know, the best thing you can do is take this. And he points to his lightsaber and says, bury it in the desert and forget about it and go live a simple life somewhere. Um, so, yeah, again, we, we get this real vibe of, like, Kenobi's broken at this point. Like, he is just lost for having, you know, seen everybody he knows is dead. All he has left is Luke. As far as he knows, like... You know, Anakin died on Mustafar, Padme died, the Republic fell, Yoda's gone, the Jedi Temple's gone, all the Jedi have been killed. He's like, this is as low as this person can can feel. And all he kind of has is, is, is watching over Luke. 
So then we cut to Alderaan, which is, of course, very different than Tatooine. And, you know, we get a nice little little look at, you know, uh, young 10-year-old Leia Organa. And she's this, you know, silly little girl playing tricks on her mom, dressing up one of her, her handmaidens and, and running off into the woods and uh, playing with her little droid, little cute droid, which coincidentally they showed you could buy for just the low price of X dollars at uh, Star Wars Celebration today. Um, Lola, Lola, her little, her little droid. And uh, her mom goes and finds her mom, Breha. We we'd never seen her mom before, so that was kind of a nice moment, right? Like we never we never had we knew obviously Bale from the prequels, and and uh, it was nice to sort of finally get to see you know uh, the the queen, I guess. And um, yeah, and then we get a little sort of foreshadowing there where we realize that someone has sort of been keeping an eye on her and her her willingness to to sort of disobey and go and, and run off into the woods. But yeah, we get this real juxtaposition of like this sad, desolate life that uh, that Obi-Wan's living with this, you know, Leia doesn't love her life. She's frustrated by having to be the, the proper princess, but on this beautiful sort of, you know, green, lush, you know, luxury condos as far as the eye can see planet. Uh, so yeah, a pretty, pretty big difference. I don't know if I'm Luke later on, if I'm talking to spirit Obi-Wan, I might be complaining just a bit. Like, why couldn't I have gone and lived with the, the Organa family? Maybe they wanted a kid who was a boy and not a girl. Maybe she can go live in the desert with my grumpy uncle who maybe drink blue milk. Um, so from there we go back to, uh, we go back to Tatooine and, uh, after another mundane day, uh, Obi-Wan is going back to, to get his pet, not camel, whatever, whatever those things are called. And, uh, a bag falls at his feet and, and, you know, a broken model of the, the Skyhopper falls out and, you know, it's, of course it's Owen and, uh, he is, you know, ticked off and basically says like, no, you like, listen, you, you go away. Like just just go away. Don't, uh, you know, don't come around. Don't watch him. And, you know, Obi-Wan says, you know, hey, we, we talked about this. Like he when he's old enough, Luke has to be trained. And of course, Owen slam dunks on him by saying, oh, you mean like you trained his father, which is pretty vicious uh, mm -hmm. for a guy who seems overall pretty humble. That's a pretty nasty, nasty burn. Um, yeah, it is. An, it is an, an odd characterization for Ben. I mean, like. I mean, for I mean, sorry for Owen. He's a bit, he's a bit grumpy in A New Hope, right? But then he's just got this teenage kid he's trying to corral, right? But um, yeah, I, I kind of, I you know, at the end of the the Sith movie, you know, he Obi Wan kind of brings the baby to them and sort of says, "Hey, can you guys look after this kid? And I'll be around to keep an eye on him." But I can't imagine why he would turn so grumpy, right? Yeah, although it occurred to me as I was watching this and I was watching that sort of life that the, the Larses have out there on, on Tatooine, which is, of course, on the, the butt end of the galaxy where nobody else wants to be. He lives out even beyond the civilized parts of that, way out in the middle of nowhere with his wife and his airhead nephew. And um, I got to think, yeah, I get why Owen was kind of ticked off by the end of his life. Like, that's a terrible life. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, anyway, we we continue from there where, you know, Owen is sort of, you know, tells tells Obi-Wan off. Obi-Wan feels, you know, chagrined and frustrated. And then, of course, the the Inquisitors show up again. And, you know, we 
we get this scene where uh, the Inquisitors show up and sort of say, you know, hey, if you guys don't tell us where this Jedi is hiding, we're going to start chopping off people's hands. And the one woman says, you know, you don't have any authority here. We're way out in the outer rim. The Empire doesn't have any sway over here. And of course, they cut off her hand. Um, yeah, she's a hands-free device. Does, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so the next, of course, move is that Reva goes after Owen and says, you know, what's your name? And are you housing a, a Jedi? And of course he is, not that he knows it, but, and, you know, she basically says, you know, if, if you guys don't turn over this Jedi right now, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to go to his house and kill his family. And, but again, we'll circle back to this. It's the prequel problem. You, you can't make threats against people who we know are going to live. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it, eventually, they do go kill his family. Well, it's true. It's true. I mean, they do. You do make good on that one, although you know, albeit uh, another it's a few years, yeah, 10, now, yeah, 10, 12 definitely. years later. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the end, uh, they basically are. You know, they they relent. They they leave. The Inquisitors leave, and they take off. Uh, Obi Wan comes over and sort of says, you know. Uh, Thanks for doing it for, you know, thanks for, for not turning me in. And and Owen says, you know, well, it wasn't for you, dude. I wasn't, wasn't protecting you. It's protecting the kid, right? And um, we cut back to Alderaan. And we get uh, a nice scene where, you know, Leia is now, you know, capitulated. She's wearing her, her pretty princess outfits. And she's being sort of shown off. Uh, we go to, uh, you know, a scene where they greet some of their family on this landing pad and then they're waving to the loving crowd who, who obviously, you know, Bale and his family are, are very popular and the young princess. And they end up at this sort of cocktail party where uh, we, we actually see C-3PO in the background, reprogrammed C-3PO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why, oh, she said. No, there's two of them. Oh, and If really? you have the okay. subtitles on, we actually hear uh, C-3PO as well. Really? Only on for about three, four seconds in the background, but uh, I guess we know what his job before he ended up on that uh, freighter was. Was he was uh, working as a as a server in a cocktail bar? Well, he does end up on the on the princess's um, barge in the beginning or ship on the beginning of New Hope. Yeah, that's what right? I'm saying. That's that. I guess that's his next job. But uh, in the meantime, mm-hmm. he's he's busy working working the crowd at the. Uh, at the cocktail party, uh, we get uh, Leia interacting with her cousin, who is not named, but I've named Cousin Douchey, who is just being like a really rotten kid to her. You know, you're not, you're adopted and nobody likes you and, you know, you don't even look like us and just being a real schmuck. And, uh, and of course, Leia is a very, very bright young woman and she just tears him a new one and, and you know, mm-hmm. basically reduces him to tears. Uh, she ends up getting a talking to from her mom and dad or her mom, particularly, who is just like, you know, hey, uh, you know, you can't talk like that to your cousin. You need to apologize. She's like, uh, uh-uh. and then her dad gives her a talking to. And clearly he's the one who she most sort of, you know, relates to. And she says, fine, I'll apologize. But she doesn't. She goes and she runs away again. And so we see a sort of duplicate scene to the first scene where she runs off into the woods. But this time, the person who was watching her the first time who turns out to be a guy named Vect, uh, is waiting for her along with a couple of goons. And we get a little chase scene before she is caught. Uh, Vect, of course, played by Fred Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea, because, hey, why not? Yeah, he said he's been in a few movies, actually, Flea. Well, he's Back to the Future, right? He's in Back to the Future. Right, yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so we get this... Uh, um, 
scene where she's captured. And then, of course, we go back to Obi-Wan's humble life. And, you know, something happens that does sort of breaks up his usual routine. There's a weird noise coming from inside one of his containers. He opens it up. And, of course, it's a it's a hollow uh, communicator. And it's uh, it's. Leia's parents, and which is kind of loud for a guy who's hiding in a cave. I really, had the same thought. I'm like, put that thing on silent. Put it on vibrate, man. Like, what? Come on. Um, or, or, hey, why didn't you bury that in the desert next to the lightsaber? Anyways, <laughs> uh, so we end up with uh, it's the Netflix device of the future. I guess. Yeah, no kidding. We end up with uh, the the parents being on there saying, "Help us, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope." Um, you know, it's been 10 years, but we really need you to, you know, come and do this. I could yeah. not help. My mind immediately went to uh, Yoda's line, excitement, adventure, or a Jedi craves not these things. Unless, of course, they've been just cutting up stinky space, space fish for the last 10 years, in which case a little action wouldn't be too bad. He originally turns them down and says, listen, I'm not your guy. I'm not, I'm not going to go do this. But Bale shows up in person and basically says, listen, like, you know. Old friend, please, pretty please, with sugar on top. You got to save this kid. If they find out who she is, who she really is, we're in deep doo doo, and you know, it, it you gotta you gotta do this for me. And so, uh, Obi Wan basically, you know, you, you get the vibe that he's going to say yes. Of course, it'd be a very crappy show if he didn't. Uh, well, can I ask a question? So yeah. I understand having having not really thought about it till till today, but having seen that you know Owen is. Actually, related to Luke, he's, I think guess he's a Skywalker or whatever. Well, no, technically not, right? Because he was... Oh, he's he's a stepbrother of, of Anakin, right? That's right. His, that right. his dad married Anakin's mom, so they'd be stepbrothers. Right. right. So, there's, so he's, yeah, so he's, he's a step-uncle, step-uncle of, yeah. of Luke. No blood, but, no blood but family. But Exactly. But but other than Organa being a, a, a king or whatever of... of, of it's weird because it seems like he's a senator and she's a on. she's a princess. I never. It's the same thing as on Naboo, right? It seems like a yeah, weird but, distinction. But, but how is he related to Padme somehow, or he just decided to no. be a nice guy and no, no, they no. were looking They're, for a they kid? Are not and related. They no, a he's simply the adopted father for for Leia. He and Padme, through especially the you've watched the Clone Wars, they are friends. Yeah. They are uh, very close. Oh, okay, but okay. they are not right. blood related. No. Yeah the the prequel trilogy part was. What do we do with these twins? Um, with Leia, he's like, "Well, I'll, I'll take the girl because my wife and I were already talking about, you know, having a daughter. So it's not. It's kind of like the Ma and Pa can't found this space child from Krypton, and he's like, "All right, well, let's pretend it's ours." And this plays into this series where Leia gets, you know, um, teased from her her step cousin that like you're not a real Organa, right? So it's it's known that she's adopted at yes. least within the family. They don't know yeah. where the source, but they, they know that she, at least the, even the boy there knows that she's not a, quote, real Organa. So there's also another prequel, prequel, prequel problem, because I don't know if I talked to you about it previously, but on Rebels, when Leia shows up, right? Yeah, I did talk to you about that, because there's, in Ahsoka, she's a young toddler. Yeah, in, but by the time we get, to, so Rebels happens about 12 years after this. So she is in her early 20s. Yeah, okay, and then, but she was 19 when, uh, Carrie Fisher was 19 when New Hope was shown, but yeah. not that that matters. But um, the, and, and so now we have her here as a 10-year-old, I mean, like, do you think that's, like, don't you find they're going to have, they're going to end up with, uh, but hey, I don't remember ever owning a droid, probably? I don't think it's that glaring. I think you, 
I think time-wise, they've actually been pretty decent around her. I think the more glaring problem is when you look at Obi-Wan now versus Obi-Wan 12 years from now when it's right. like 70-year-old Alec Guinness. So I don't know what's going to happen in these six Leia episodes, but boy, is it rough on Obi-Wan. Because he goes from like, you know, sort of uh, red, red bearded, you know, swarthy looking 50s to like very craggy looking white haired 70s by the time. By the time we flash forward, was he seventy? Really? Like, I'm just gonna check this out. Yeah, I don't know how old he was at that point, but I mean, now it's Alec Guinness was not a young man when he filmed that stuff, right? So, anyway, so to to keep the ball rolling here, anyways, he uh, we go back to the ship that has filled with the the mercenaries that have kidnapped Leia. She's on this thing, and uh, she is uh, on her way to. Dayu, and uh, she thinks she might have a way out of there. She pulls Lola out of her pocket. Lola happens to have a rotating knife attached to it, because why wouldn't you have one of those for a small child? And uh, starts trying to cut through her ropes. And of course, uh, the uh, Vect comes in and, and throws Lola to the ground, smashing her and, uh, and deactivating her. Uh, we then cut back to the desert, where we see Obi-Wan take his uh, friend, the Not Camel, out into the middle of nowhere. How he remembered exactly where he left this thing, I would like to know. He's amazing. And uh, so that's a good memory to like be in the middle of the dune sea being like, that's the spot. You know, maybe, this, maybe again, well, but, he, but he knows bond, where his kyber, yeah, yeah, kyber his crystals bond crystal, with, their, right? with their, their Jedi, so maybe he can sense it, but... He uh, he ends up basically digging a hole, and it's not even a deep hole. It's probably like two feet deep, not even. And he digs out a box, and inside the box is not one but two lightsabers, uh, his and, of course, Anakin's. And uh, then we go back to the ship, and we realize that, uh, you know, uh, the, the mercenaries are working for Riva, the, 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 uh, the third sister, and that this is all part of her plan to lure Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding because she realizes that Bale and Obi-Wan were friends and that maybe by putting Bale's daughter in, at risk that this will be the thing that draws her out. So he, she's not actually kidnapping Leia because she suspects anything about Leia or her origin, she's doing it to draw out Obi-Wan. And we wrap up the first episode with uh, Obi-Wan making the decision to actually hop on board a space freighter and head towards Dayu. And uh, yeah, and that's that's the end of episode one. So some real-time follow-up here. Hmm. Alec Guinness was 63 in 1977. So if if they filmed it in 76, then he would have been 62. And how old is right? uh, how old is Hugh McGregor now? He's, He's got to be in his early 50, 50s. 51 years old. Yeah. Yeah. 51. So again, the the math actually works out. But boy, it really yeah. does say something about where we are when somebody who's 60 looks like you know, or somebody who's in their 50s looks like Hugh McGregor now, versus somebody who's like in their early 60s looking like. Alec Guinness did then because he looked like an old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, then, but that's also part of the sort of British culture. For right? somebody who that. is also uh, in their early 60s, uh, Tim, I think you look a lot better for your age than uh, Alec Guinness did in 1977. Well, <laughs> <Jeez>. okay, fine. <laughs> now, admittedly, you haven't been living in a, a mud hut in the middle of the desert for 20 True. years, but you know. True. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Jawa. There you go. And, and and 
practicing and practicing your uh, your uh, crate dragon calls to scare off the sand people, right? Mm. Yeah. All right. So then we, uh, yeah, for for of course the the nice bonus was that we get two episodes to start. So uh, episode two kicks in, and of course we are on uh, Dayu. So before we get into yeah. that, so my question is about episode one: yeah. is why didn't why didn't Bail Organa give obi-wan some sort of transport device like isn't he like a rich giant i believe i believe he gives him the money to transport because oh okay cause, yeah because all of a sudden he's got all those credits right yeah yeah, yeah okay i think he's paid yeah, I think he he's was, fitting he the was bill basically on that one, yeah. poor right he was poor before that right L- living the life of a hermit as it were yep Okay. All right. Carry on. So he arrives on Dayu, and he's got this uh, tracking device, which, again, must have been provided by uh, Bale. And he realizes on the planet, hey, it's not working anymore, and uh, and a handy person at the uh, the um, disembarkation station there basically says, uh, yeah, that's not going to work here. They block all the signals, so you're going to have to figure it out from there. Uh, Dayu looks kind of like L.A. from Blade Runner a little bit. Right. A little bit, a little bit like Tokyo yeah. at night, and uh, you know we get a nice little cameo there. We get to see uh, a clone trooper, you know, begging for spare change. Sad, kind of, yeah. you know, um, funny, funny little cameo, especially given who he was in the in the Grand uh, Republic Army. We. Uh, get the spice dealer. She he's trying to sort of find find you know. Hey, where can I start looking for for Leia? And uh, runs into a spice dealer. The spice dealer basically says, you know, good luck, and uh, hands him a container of spice and says, here, this will this will perk up your day. Uh, and of course, that comes into play a little later. Uh, a little boy runs up to him and says, you know, hey, if you're looking for help, I can direct you for the right price to the local Jedi. And uh, you know intrigued obi-wan's like yeah all right let's let's go see the local jedi and of course we get a very funny scene where uh kumail nanjiani is playing uh haja estri and he is doing you know uh a mummer's farce of what it's like to be a jedi where he's controlling the you know bringing the lightsaber to his hand and closing the windows with his mind and and basically pretending to do this uh this jedi bit for uh for the benefit of this mother and and child who want to get off planet because he seems to be uh force sensitive and uh and of course you know then we get uh obi-wan coming in there and basically you know confronting him and being like cool you know cool 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 good to see you there buddy uh, nice job with the magnets and the you know pre-programmed stuff and he's like well you know yeah i took i, I took their money but i'm not like i'm not setting them up they're actually gonna go free it's just this is all like theater right and uh in the end, he basically says, you know, hey, let's, you know, I, I can, I think I can help you. He ends up basically sending him off to, uh, uh, you know, check out this spot. The spot is a spice lab. So Obi-Wan goes in and and uh, tries to, you know, blend in. He puts on a mask. He goes into this spice lab where they're working on stuff. And uh, he goes in and he sort of works his way in. He beats up a couple guards. He sneaks in. He goes into the, the prison where he thinks that Leia's being held. And of course, that's when the trap is sprung. They wanted him to come there. Uh, there is no, Le- Leia's not where he thought she was. And uh, they're, they're going to have him prison, prison, imprisoned. But of course, he's got that pocket full of spice. And so he puts the mask on and he smashes the spice on the ground. And then the, the three mercenaries all end up uh, high out of their minds. And 
And, uh, you know, they had already called the third sister and said, you know, hey, come on down. We've got him. She shows up and is like, hey, you three high idiots, where the hell is uh, is my my prize? And, of course, in the meantime, uh, he's located Leia, who is a little suspicious. So, you know, aren't you a little, store, a little short for a Jedi? And, yeah. uh, you know, again, interesting parallel there with, you know, him breaking her out of a cell. And yeah, anyway. Um, of course, at this point, we see more Inquisitors arriving on the scene, and it's uh, the Grand Inquisitor. Again, we see the uh, fourth brother, and then we also see the fourth sister, who we didn't see in the first episode, so that was kind of cool. And they um, basically are saying, like, we got it from here. Nice of you to try and set this up and go around, you know, behind our backs. But, you know, if anyone's going to catch Kenobi, it's going to be the Grand Inquisitor. And, you know, the the third sister's like, oh, yeah, we'll check this out. And she does the scene from John Wick 2. Like, it was almost exactly the same as John Wick 2, where, you know, they call in the, the, the bounty on John Wick. Yep. And all of a sudden, all the devices go off and everybody's looking for John Wick. It was exact same scene, but with Kenobi. So it's mm-hmm. John Kenobi and uh, all the, the hoodlums, bounty hunters and slime balls on, uh, on this planet are now looking out for him and for her. And so he's trying to sort of sneak around. He buys her a new outfit. They're trying to figure their way out of this stuff. There's a robot in the scene that looks looks an awful lot mm-hmm. like Forlom, one of the key bounty hunters on the bridge of the Star Destroyer, but yeah. it gets shot full of holes in a few minutes, so it's either not Forlom, it's a different robot, or it's Forlom, but somebody repairs it later on. They do not make it clear in the captions. I checked. Um... So Leia is working with him and, you know, and then of course she, uh, starts to become suspicious because she realizes that he's being hunted and, you know, why is he being hunted? What is the, oh, you know, this is actually, they're after you, they're not after me, you're trouble, I don't want to be around you. But she's 10 and she can figure that out. Yeah, she basically says like, you know, I'm out of here and so she bolts and she, you know, she's, um, yeah, trying to, trying to take off, um, the third sister is standing on a rooftop, and she, of course, sees this this laser fight going on where one of the, the bounty hunters is targeting Obi-Wan and trying to catch him and, and Leia. And uh, she starts doing force parkour, which is yeah. pretty awesome, where she's like, not only is she like jumping and cat jumping and leaping off walls and stuff like that, but she's like knocking stuff down with the force to make herself pathways. It is pretty neat. I got to admit, it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does a little force parkour. And then, uh, of course... Leia's trying to get away from Obi-Wan, and she ends up uh, trying to take a jump where she can't quite clear it. She's about to fall to her death, and he, for the first time, clearly in quite a long time, reaches out with the Force and catches her and lowers her very gently to the ground, at which point she realizes, hey, uh, maybe you're not a bad guy after all. You did not just let me get splattered all over the streets of this planet. Um, they come to the uh, the next part where it looks like Haja and his little uh, little boy assistant are going to be you know in it for the money, and uh, he actually shows up and is actually helpful. He gives them advice on you know hey you need to go to this uh, cargo port. They won't be monitoring it. It's not for for um, you know people. You can get out that way. And he's like, why are you helping you know me and. Uh, he's like, you know, yeah, like I'm, I'm not a bad guy. I'm just, you know, I like money. It is all it is to it. And, um, 
Meanwhile, the Grand Inquisitor and the Inquisitors are uh, trying to figure out from Vect, you know, like, hey, where is Kenobi? What's going on? Uh, we get to see one of the rotating lightsabers like we've seen in, in, of course, Rebels, but most people haven't seen until now in live action. We get to see the rotating lightsaber uh, mm-hmm. turn Vect or flees Vect into a, uh, a sprayed mess all over the ground. Uh, so goodbye to Vect. Uh, we then get uh, Reva, while she's looking for Obi-Wan, runs into Haja. Haja puts on his I'm a Jedi routine. She's like, mm, no, you're not. And uh, she throws him against the wall using the forest. He, he delivers the great line, uh, those didn't feel like magnets. And she reaches into his mind and sort of pulls out where he has sent Obi-Wan and Leia. Uh, we get a nice little moment when uh, Leia and and uh, Obi-Wan are trying to, you know, get ready to go onto the transports where, you know, she's a very, you know, well-spoken, clever, intuitive, uh, commanding little child. And uh, he says, you know, you remind me, Leia, you remind me of somebody, you remind me of a, a very strong leader that I once knew, uh, of course, you know, having been uh, very close friends with Padme. Um, at that point, uh, um we get uh, Reva showing up. Reva's chasing them. He basically gives the key to the to the uh, cargo ship to Leia. Says, "Get on it. If you don't see me jumping on board, get the hell out of here." Uh, it looks like it's going to be a showdown between you know Reva and Kenobi. He's got his lightsaber in hand, and you're sort of waiting for the for the lightsaber fight to fight to break out. But the Grand Inquisitor shows up and uh, and sort of says, "No, no, 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 no. You you're not doing this. You're not you're not taking my collar. I'm the Grand Inquisitor. I'm." doing this and she says yeah I, I hear you right right at you and uh she she runs him through with a lightsaber and leaves him for dead now we get a lingering scene where we see him lying on the ground not breathing but we do know that the grand inquisitor is still alive in the time of rebels and we do know that uh you know we thought fennec shand was dead when she was shot through too now admittedly a lightsaber stabbed through the abdomen's pretty damaging but clearly not to his race because he's alive in the future so that's a bit of a weird misleading one so again if people aren't familiar with rebels it 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 could be pretty ambiguous for i think for those of us who've watched it we know he's alive and in rebels there's no um incongruities because he's only ever seen wearing full body armor so we never see his abdomen so we don't know if he's got like a robotic part or a scar or whatever right well, Fennec Shan gets rebuilt, right? Well, that's it. And so even though he appears to be dead in this moment, that's not to say that he is actually and that he couldn't be backed or roboticized or something in yeah. here. But it does, obviously, it, it makes it clear to us with Reva that this is very personal and that she's not going to take a backseat. She's, this is, she wants Kenobi and it's more than, more than I want fortune and glory. She doesn't make a reference in the previous episode that I didn't mention about, you know, uh, basically, you know, I want my revenge more or less. Um, and, and, uh, sorry, just before that, she did, she did drop the truth bomb on Obi-Wan, which is the one that sort of sends him reeling before he's able to escape. She says, you know, uh, Lord Vader can't wait to meet you. Uh, he's been searching all over for you, by the way. Oh, you didn't know Anakin Skywalker is alive. He is Darth Vader. And, 
you know, we end the episode with a very, very upset and, and scared looking Obi-Wan flying away on the cargo shuttle with Leia uh, with the knowledge that Vader is alive. And then we, of course, cut to uh, Hayden Christensen as as uh, Vader in the back to tank with the mask on. And, the, and the, of course, the famous sound of his breathing. So, yeah, a really fast paced and um, and. You know, momentum forward first two episodes. What uh, what'd you guys think? Lots of Easter eggs. So like oh my the God. whole sort of market and, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Characters and bits and pieces. Yeah. Jaime, give me some love. What'd you think? I, um, I, I don't want to say negative stuff about it. I thought it was nice. I don't know that say, I was... Say negative uh, things. Come on, Jaime. You're too no, positive. Get in there. I don't, I don't really have like solidly negative stuff. Um, so it's going to sound like I'm saying bad things, but I just don't know that I was as compelled by it as I was with, uh, like, The Mandalorian, right? Mandalorian got me sort of right from the beginning. Um, I feel like I sort of had to invest in Boba, uh, Book of Boba Fett to, to get there. So I'm not going to discount um, uh, Obi-Wan here from the first two episodes. I think, you know, nice, nice, nice content. I don't know that it's one that I will, you know, shout from the rooftops for people to go watch uh, like I would with The Mandalorian. Um, so I... Positive, you know, to be really clear, you know, positive thoughts about it, but it wasn't, it wasn't something where I felt like, oh man, that was so incredible, you know, got to go post on Facebook, you know, check it out. So what was the, what do you think it was about those first two episodes that didn't quite grab you? I mean, obviously you're familiar with, you know, the lead character much more so than the Mandalorian. You have a history with Obi-Wan and, you know, there's certainly, you know, a lot of, as you say, tie-ins, Easter eggs throughout connecting the whole series what about this didn't quite grab you was it the was it where obi-wan was was it sort of how this particular two episodes arc played out what what didn't quite grab you i don't know i'll have to think about that since i sort of just binged uh the the two that came out pretty much immediately when they came out um i i think the the inquisitor stuff is cool i think the uh starting off with order 66 and setting that as the the, the case for things. I think the recurring theme of Obi-Wan is, you know, got this terrible job so he can survive sort of thing um, is neat. I, I don't know. I don't know why it didn't just uh, click with me for some reason. I'll have to, to chew on that a little bit. Yeah. Did it, did it feel a little bit to you like this whole two parts was really just a build up to where we end the last episode, which is really where we wanted it to go? I wonder if it's that. I wonder I wonder if it is really just a, a two hour long premiere and then from here we'll get the real show. Maybe Yeah, maybe more than a, anything, what I what preamble. I wanted to see out of this series wasn't you know, little Leia's adorable and that the young woman who played her was was quite good, I thought. Um and there was lots of little sort of Easter eggs and, and tidbits and stuff, but all I really wanted out of this series was more Obi Wan and, and Vader. Yeah. I'm not so much looking forward to the Vader thing because, because, you know, as I said before, Vader in A New Hope is probably probably the most menacing of all of any of the movies he's been in. Mm, right? Except for the last um, two minutes of Rogue One. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He I mean, like, down the hallway even, but, and kills everybody. Yeah, I know, but I, I I don't mean that. I mean, yeah, but I mean that was like yeah. After seeing Yoda, after seeing Yoda with a lightsaber, like anything's possible, right? So, <laughs> okay, but that was almost um, absurd. Or 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 Count Dooku, right? Like Count Dooku was another one too, right? But the 
the um like I mean just just like you know it's it's not so much what Darth Vader does in a new hope it's what he doesn't do in a no hope that makes him so scary you know when he when he walks through the door on the on the first ship right mm. and you know everybody just like pins himself against the wall and then he, he you know lifts that one guy up you know as if he's like weighs nothing as he's inter- in, 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 interrogating them and and this sort of you know how you know he is in the boardroom where they're having where the one guy's questioning his you know archaic faith and all that kind of stuff and then how he's approaching Leia like it's very subtle like the the performance is very very subdued right it's it doesn't need to be he's just this big black mf you know like you know you don't know you've you've never seen a character like that before in in you know it's sort of like a black knight with a cape kind of thing right mm. um you know, dark knight. I mean, like a like a like a evil evil knight, right? And you know, so that was kind of like for me. That was like seeing that the first time. And then and Obi Wan was was respectable. You know, as as um, I mean, Alec Guinness, right? As his portrayal as the you know the the sage old you know wizened you know um, person who's explaining to Luke you know about this this archaic history of whatever, right? I mean. So I mean, like that's what that's one of the things I like about A New Hope is it's very subtle in terms of how it tells the stories, and so some of the things that they did in this story were very similar to that. In in that you know, like like you know, we all know who Obi Wan Kenobi is. We kind of we kind of have the backstory from from the first three movies, right? We know his his ability to go off and do missions. We know from watching Clone Wars that both he and Anakin were you know kick-ass generals, and you know, and that you know he was always sort of the logical thinker whereas anakin was sort of the more emotive kind of run in you know run in you know you know pull out the lightsaber and start slashing and ask questions later kind of thing you know uh whereas you know uh kenobi was more of a a strategic general thinker kind of guy right you know more ethical i guess right Mm. and and so to see him in this i don't don't really know that he was defeat he was if he, he looked defeated to me he looked like he was playing you know sort of the the hermit role you know very almost like uh um uh vigo morgeson in uh, what's that movie the cronenberg movie where he's um oh history of violence yeah where he's like just a regular guy right just going to work in my suv and yep. washing dishes making kid, food you know? yeah yeah exactly so that same sort you know just slicing me i mean i thought he was going to get get crap from his from his supervisor for Sticking the meat in his in his vet, his apron at the end of the day, kind of thing, you know, defeat his. his I have uh, a feeling that strength. will pay off at the end of this story. I suspect that to be the case. There has a reason for that. Yeah, I, th- or, I or think because like he whole... does it multiple times, and we we get that that's part of his routine. But he keeps cutting bigger and bigger pieces. Oh, does he? Over the yeah. course of the first three times we see him do it, he keeps cutting bigger and bigger pieces. Because I think subconsciously he's trying to get into conflict because he he wants to stand up for these people oh yeah yeah because because at the point there where where the guy complains about the amount of pay like they only got half the pay that they normally get yep. and i got a family to feed and yep. even the jawa says that to him right i've got a tribe a tribe to feed right yep um I, I, the jawa is great I, I i love that part you know that that exchange where you know He's like, here's here's the thing I found, and 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 then he hears a sound, and he goes, oh, you got a trouble with your evaporator, and he's like, you're and, gonna uh, steal from me. Yeah, and he says, well, well, here I just happen to have the part you need, and and he goes, look, if you're gonna steal my stuff, why can you at least clean it? Cleaning costs extra. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, just I love that sort of exchange. Like, you know, you know, yeah, I can do that for you, but you know, you got to pay me for it. Yeah. Right? So I, I'll steal it. I'll, but I'll, you know. <laughs> 
won't, I'll give it back to you dirty, right? Yeah. So that that was a funny bit. I mean, you know, the Jawas can be a little annoying sometimes in Star Wars, but that was that was a good exchange. I like that little character there. Yeah. But and he might come back at some point in the future too, right? Well, no, he gets the he gets the little the ship from him, right? The yeah, again, yeah, yeah, again, mm-hmm. it's it's that's about you know carrying thing from point A to point B. But yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, I I, I found it okay. I mean. It's kind of weird. I mean, some of the some of the, like he's working in Anchorhead, and he's got to you know he's got to he's got to you know ride this mule for like hours to commute home, I guess you know, <laughs> sort of thing, and and live in his cave. And does he go back to work every day, kind of thing, or does he go once a week, or is this is this a job where you can just show up and do a get a day's pay, like you know, like you know like being like a a day worker at a construction site or something like that? You know, those are, there are jobs out there like that where you can just. You don't have to have a resume. You just show up and, and be a laborer, right? Kind of thing. Right? Yeah. Um, so, and and you know the whole quarter portion thing that we saw in, in the Force Awakens kind of thing, where you know the the, the under the, it's a bit it's a bit like um, like I just think of a meme I saw on on Reddit today, but the uh, you know like the the scene with Ray, you know she's she's a scavenger and she's kind of she you know goes and eats her bowl of of gruel he almost i think i think when he adds the water to his thing and it kind of puffs up a little bit mm-hmm. it was a bit like that that scene in in uh, force awakens as well but the meme i saw on, on um on uh uh reddit today was was uh obi-wan coming out of the cave to eat his soup kind of thing mm. and and the caption was jesus comes out of his cave to eat his soup <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I I did enjoy the the I I like the sort of um, Blade Runnery kind of world that they they go to in the second episode. You know, yeah. Um, and that that Reva, she's got a real bone to pick. Like you know, like like she's she's a good character. I hate her already. Like you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like I almost hate her right from the from the get go. Um, you know, she's just nasty to people, and she's and she's even nasty to the other Inquisitors. Like she's not towing the line, right? Like yeah, it seems like the Empire has a sort of real sort of this is the bureaucratic process. This is how we, how the empire runs kind of thing. And, and she's a bit mavericky in that sense. Right. So, yeah, I think, uh, it'll be interesting. So obviously the thing we haven't circled back on is the, the opening scene, which is the younglings, right? So the younglings, obviously the setup there is, you know, what happens to these younglings? What's the, what's the story there? And so I expect what we're going to find out is that she and perhaps some of the other uh, inquisitors oh, were, might have been were those oh. younglings and that they weren't saved by Obi-Wan or and somehow Obi-Wan yeah. in her perception them did them wrong and yeah. that she blames her lot on the fact that that Obi-Wan well, it's interesting that it's interesting. Them. I was thinking about that too. That that you know, here here we have like the Sith in, in general. You know, they're they have Jedi powers, but how come you know they're not hunted like Jedi's are, right? And and um, yeah, it, it, the the comment that he makes about the fact that these 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 are potential Jedi's who who turn to the Sith side. I mean, like, what else are you going to do if you have Jedi powers, right? Well, um, it's and die or turn die, right? That's yeah, the, you either got to either got to become a Sith or, or Inquisitor or whatever, and and of course I'm sure to become an Inquisitor you have to be the best of the best, right? So there's probably like a whole culling process to to become an Inquisitor as well, right? Yeah, and it sounds like they have a limited a limited uh, number of uh, employment opportunities. Well, right? I, you know, I again, I, they're basically they're corrupted by you know Vader and 
and the emperor to say basically your choices are work for us or die they're not sith they're they're dark force and there is a distinction because right. there can be only two sith um they are dark force users uh, hence the the cracked crystals the, the red lightsabers and the um right. or the corrupted crystals and the um you know the black and everything else but you know all of them are basically there. The idea there is that they are like Obi, uh, like Anakin, in that they were weak and they were broken, and the breaking of them leads them down this dark path. And once they're down the dark path, there's no going back, right? So I, I think it'll be interesting. Like you, you said already after two episodes, you hate Riva. I wonder if there's any kind of redemption for her, or if she's going to be the monster. I mean, we already saw her turn on the Grand Inquisitor. You know, it's clearly there's something personal at play here. Again, I think it ties into that whole youngling story. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if her character is irredeemable or if she's, you know, if there's cause for her grievance. Well, we've only got four more episodes to, for that arc, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's it is a f- an interesting choice. I think it's a good choice to sort of start with these two episodes now here at the at the end of May. You know, this whole thing's going to be wrapped up in in four weeks. It'll be done before summer is, which is uh, certainly pleasant. I mean, it'll actually be done. I think a week or two before uh, a Strange New Worlds is. Um, so, yeah, it's funny. The Strange New Worlds is ten episodes, I think, right? So what did you think overall? Like are you on the on the positive side of this series or Yeah, I mean it was it, it's tricky. It's the same thing, you know, it's funny. I remember watching The Phantom Menace with you know, with you when it first came out and we were talking about it afterwards. And I said, you know what the best part of this movie was? And and there were certainly problems with it, but overall I, I felt, you know, decently positive about it. I, I have certainly picked some nits out of it since then. But um I said, you know what the best part of it was? Was was getting to see Jedis do Jedi stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. what we got in the original trilogy was a broken down Obi-Wan in a really lame sword fight with Darth Vader in the first one. A young Luke having a very um, clearly inexperienced versus experienced sword fight in the second one that was, you know, it was a good fight scene, all things being equal, but it wasn't really like... As athletic, I think, as we could have seen from the Jedi. And then we saw even the third one, like, you know, Luke was conflicted. He didn't want to hurt his father. It was not a great sword fight in the grand scheme of things. So even in that first scene where they go on to the to the Trade Federation vessel and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are just beating tar on all the the battle droids and just, you know, stabbing their way through doors and stuff like that. I was like, that's cool. That's just really cool. Well, and, and the fight with Darth Maul. Well, and that's it. And it, and it culminates and, with, yeah. like, probably the best fight scene it, across all iterations am i am i missing any am i not thinking of yeah one? no i think yeah like i mean like like the the like i said before the the uh yoda with the lightsaber was just comical it was it was absurd and, and, yeah absurd and then and and even count dooku just like yeah like just cut his hands off already yeah, you know like, yeah i mean really when we're talking about best sword fight ever it's it's either the one from phantom menace or it's the one from the end of revenge of the sith between anakin and mm-hmm. obi-wan but again, we like word for word, we knew how that one was going to play out, right? Like, I, yeah, you knew, yeah, you knew he had to lose his limbs. Yeah, and, so that yeah. one again was kind of a, you know, it was it was done well, but it was just kind of weak sauce. When I look at this one, I think my only real sticking point, and again, I love seeing you. I love you, McGregor. He's a fantastic actor. I'm glad he's back. He was the best part of those prequels by a country mile. 
I think the part that is sort of, uh, you know, tedious to a point, especially, you know, when they're going to drop two episodes at once is he's, you know, he's not this cool Jedi that we saw in the Clone Wars. He's not this, you know, brash kid that we saw in, in Phantom Menace. And, and, you know, he's just this sort of broken down, dispirited guy who's afraid to kick on his lightsaber. And I know that that's about building towards where he's eventually going to have to do it and, and, and all that. But that would be my only sort of nitpick so far is just it, it would have been nice to... You know, if if we're going to go into this era to have it be a little more like he he was just he was not himself, you know, yeah, like it he, just was a little not, bit of a letdown. The swagger, the swagger and the cock of the walk was gone. Like, yeah, I like mean, that's, he's, he's like, you know, it's funny because everyone's always like, oh, Anakin in the in the prequels and in the Clone Wars is so brash. So is Obi-Wan. He's got some serious BDE in the in the Clone Wars series. Like he's mm-hmm. he's not, you know, humble Jedi. He's big swinging dude like he's he's got a lot of attitude and so yeah and that, i think that was that was i was a bit surprised by that like in in the scenes like when he's when he's going towards the the ship in the in the end of the first episode and then when he's on the planet and the, in the second one and he's kind of skulking around you yeah. know it, it that like just you know like he walked into the room and you knew he was in the room kind of thing it was sort of the, the what's uh, that's what i meant about the jedi they kind of like it's a little different. The Empire kind of played well, like you know, like the you know when the Inquisitors show up on the planet, people just get the hell out of our way, mm-hmm. kind of, and they actually say that, right? And then, and then when the stormtroopers are marching through um, the other town or the, the new planet, what's it called? Uh, Dayu, they yeah. they you know they're like clear a path kind of thing, and and you know, and they kind of just march through, and um, you know, I. I when the Jedi kind of showed up in any sort of scene, they just kind of walk in like, like cops, you know what I mean? Like they walk in like they're, yeah. well, and not just, you know, like, they're, they're not like they're, they're cops. It's with. like they're carrying, you know, a, an arsenal with them. So everyone's just like, well, we better get out of here. Yeah. Anything they do could or kill like us. Bikers, like a bunch, a bunch of bikers sure. walk into yeah. a bunch of biker walk into a room. People shut the hell yeah. up, you know, kind of thing like that. That's kind of what you expect from, from Jedi or like the Mandalorian. When the Mandalorian walks into a bar, yeah. people shut up, you know, yeah. And again, I think, you know, we talked about prequel, the prequel problem. We talk about it all the time on this pod, but I think that's the other fundamental flaw. And I think that that brings me back to where Jaime was coming is is just there can only ever be a certain amount of risk in these kind of things. We know Leia's not going to die. We know Bale's not going to die. We know that Obi-Wan's not going to die. We know that in spite of the fact of getting run through with a lightsaber, that the Grand Inquisitor is not going to die. Unlike you, I forget that stuff when I'm watching this. Like, I don't, I didn't think that there wasn't a threat to Ben. There was no moment uh, in ben there. Owen. I mean, Owen, when Owen, when, when she's holding the sword up to Owen and she's standing nose to nose with him, you know, yeah, I, I felt that I felt the tension, I, yeah, even though I, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't kind of go. That, that would be my concern is just when you tell a prequel story where, you know, that people come out on the other side with all their limbs intact. Yeah. Again, if the actor who played, uh, you know, Owen in the original the series or in the first movie had worn an eye patch, but this one didn't. I'd be like, maybe this is how this guy gets his eye socket knocked out. But <laughs> mm-hmm. there's none of yeah. that stuff. And so, yeah, it just, it that's the problem with prequels is it always falls flat. I never felt like Le- Leia was at risk. I never felt like Obi-Wan was at risk. I never felt like Owen was at risk. I never felt like Luke was at risk. You know, it just all kind of felt like... MacGuffins to get us to the point where we did, which is, oh my God, he found out about Vader. Now he's going to have to have a conflict with Vader. So 
Yeah, that would be just sort of my, again, I'm not going to pick the hell out of it. I do think there's lots of good stuff there. I do think that, you know, again, it's wonderful to be back in the Star Wars universe. But anytime we work with prequels, we are always going to have this problem. If you're working with prequels, you're always going to have this, like, glaring, we know what happens with these characters. Well, this is what's nice about Clone Wars, is, is, is that they t- they took the time to tell different kind of stories. Yeah. We, I mean, we at the end of it, we know that the Empire is going to come along, and, you know, Anakin's going to become Darth Vader as well, but... You know, they they brought in Ahsoka Tano, and they brought in you know they brought in all the clone troopers and you know Rex and all those kind of guys, and you know they they give you they give you other stories. They're telling other stories other than the the main plot lines of this, right? And like you said, like it would it would have been. I mean, it's nice that they has he has interactions with Owen and stuff like that, but but is that really necessary to tell for this story? I mean, like you know, other than the fact that he's sitting there monitoring this kid's growth, I mean. You know, could they not have him go off and solve other problems, like help the farmer that was that's not making enough money or whatever? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like they could, there are other places they could go, and then come back to the this. They don't have to build this story. We already know the story. We already know the story of of the conflict between. I like the fact that in the new again, coming back to a new hope. I like the fact that when Darth Vader and and Obi Wan Kenobi meet up in the hallway there, they haven't seen each other in a long while like 30 years mm. it seems like you know what i mean like they know each other from way back when kind of thing like i don't know they went through jedi academy together which they did you know but in, you know what i mean like they that sort of sense of of you know i know you from a way way back you know there's a big galaxy there's you know a universe of, of places they could go and do things and and they kind of meet up later at the end not that every 10 years they have a sword fight you know what i mean yeah you know, because you'd think that would get boring. Oh, not you again, kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Because if you think think about the, again, like the prequel story, the prequel problem, like when you when you hear the dialogue that they have in the New Hope, none of what we're watching now makes sense. No, right? I mean, and that's that's the problem. Is again, that, you know, unless you meticulously write these things with the anticipation that you are one day going to do these things, it's so hard to do a prequel without looking like a fool. But again, I am. There's like again, it's ridiculous. There's, there's no question I'm going to watch the next four episodes. There's no question that there's going to be good things from those things. Uh, you know, hopefully for the first time in a while they can stick the landing on a finale for one of these things. We'll find out in four weeks. Mm. But uh, but you know, again, for all the nicks we pick, I believe Tim, it is your saying. There's no such thing as bad Star Wars, except for the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> oh no, wait, that's what I said. Sorry. Just be glad Tom Cruise isn't in it. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. I'm excited. Right. So let's move on to watch list then. Uh, a couple easy ones this week. So uh, Stranger Things season four drops on Netflix today as well. Uh, it's seven episodes, so it's sort of the f- I think it's being billed as sort of the f- part one of season four. Uh, the episodes are quite meaty. They are anywhere from about one fifteen to I think the last episode's like one forty, one hour forty. So I mean, a hundred minute episodes. That's not nothing. So it's mm-hmm. only seven episodes, but it really is. It's you know quantity wise, it's about ten Disney Plus episodes. So it's it's pretty substantial. And uh, yeah, I, I had to give my way the recap because she had completely forgotten because it's been so damn long since we saw season three um there are recaps available on netflix they're you know a little four minute you know here's here's the greatest hits what you need to know about what happened with everybody but uh yeah i'm curious to see what happens where they where they pick that story up and where it goes um you know obviously they're building towards a crescendo they said that they're going to wrap it up in the next year or two so i'll be curious to see where they uh where where they go from here with these 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 kids from indiana 
Um, the other thing I've got is next week we get The Boys Season 3. Uh, I don't know if you guys have watched all the trailers and stuff, but God, is it ever look funny and good. Um, I don't know if either of you guys did finally make the time to watch Diabolical, the uh, the cartoon series that they did in between. No, not yet. But no, I haven't seen that one. There's time. There's time. It's actually not long. It's, uh, you know, they're 15-minute episodes, and I think there's uh, six or eight of them. So it's, it's actually not that long, all things being equal. But they are disgusting and hilarious, uh, just like the boys that uh, from which it is inspired but uh, yeah i mean that series i don't know about you guys but it blew me away last time like it it was good in season one but it was great in season two and the um you know the the homelander the butcher like all the characters are so good so well realized so well acted um yeah it's mm-hmm. just one of my favorite shows so i am really looking forward to seeing what comes of that and of course it being amazon stranger things dropped all seven episodes today boof off you go uh good luck catching up before you get spoiled uh the boys will be debuting you netflix you mean right sorry netflix, netflix? yes the the yeah. boys will be debuting on amazon next week but they're doing i think three episodes to start and then weekly after that so it will sort of be a bit of a slow burn too which is which is nice i think i actually prefer that so, um, yeah, looking, looking forward to that one a lot. Um, I did chuck this one in because it just made me laugh. <laughs> you know, in the, in the week of all Star Wars news, um, the folks at LG have released a Star Wars-themed television. 65-inch uh, LG C2 OLED Evo TV, limited to just 501 units in the United States, costing $2,500. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it is, it is... Um, so they're sold out already is what you're oh, saying, Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah, you'll never get one of these, but it's just funny. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that it's got, um, you know, uh, the gallery mode like some of the TVs have where it sort of shows you, you know, uh, paintings and stuff when you're not watching TV. This one shows you the schematics for, like, the, the concept drawings for Star, Star Wars and stuff like that. It's just, it's, again, it's a kitschy piece, but it it made me laugh and it made me think, uh, yeah, this is definitely something we should uh, share with the uh, with the listening audience. So we'll put this one in the show notes. You can have a look at the weird Star Wars branded LG OLED Evo television set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last thing I added in, which made Tim groan, <laughs> is that uh, today, as part of the announcements at Celebration, they unveiled a whole bunch of new Star Wars toys, including some very cool-looking new Black Series figures, and they announced a new wave of my very favorite ones, which are the Hasbro Star Wars uh, Retro Collection series. So these are the figures that look very much like the figures from the 1970s and 80s. They are inarticulated. They are uh, just, you know, rigid arms, rigid legs, and they look very much they, like they belong in the in the collection from, uh, from the 1970s and 80s. They have announced a new wave of six figures. They are all from the Obi-Wan series. Uh, they have only unveiled the first one, which is the third sister, and so you can, you can pre-order that one now, uh, but they have said that there will be six series in this figures, and all of them will be based on the Obi-Wan series, doing a little simple math there. Uh, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan, the third sister, the Grand Inquisitor, and two figures to be named later. Any any predictions on what those other two are? The other two characters? Or yeah, what, I mean, they, there were two other characters from the Obi-Wan series. God, I hope it's not Uncle Owen. Uh, it could be two more of the Inquisitors. It could be some character we haven't met yet but uh leia yeah i mean you know get the the leia and luke te- as 10 year olds two-pack or something i don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the droids yeah but the droids that, that the obi-wan didn't own yeah but well obi-wan obviously but yeah obi-wan vader 
the Grand Inquisitor and the Third Sister are the kind of the no-brainer ones. Mm. Yeah. It could be the the fifth brother. It could be the fourth sister that we've seen already. Again, with the Grand Inquisitor getting stabbed through, even if he's not dead, which we know he's not, um, we may not see him again in the series. We might be focusing on the other sisters and brothers, sure. who I'm thinking okay. might be just a smidge ticked off. Right. So, hi, Mody. Good job. What do you got? I was uh, busy making use of my subscriptions to watch uh, free, relatively new movies, uh, and, and one completely brand new movie, I think, in first case here. Uh, I watched Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers on Disney+, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on Paramount+, and they're actually a pretty good pairing. I watched them uh, not back-to-back the same night, but uh, one after the other uh, successive nights. Um, so you know that you know that it's um, uh, Adam... What's his name? The two guys who hosted the Jimmy Kimmel show the other day were oh, Adam Carolla. Or, um, no, not Adam Carolla. Are you talking about um, the the voice actors for Chip and Dale? They're they're oh. John Mulaney and uh, uh, Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg, yeah, yeah. So the two of them were hosting because Ken um, Jimmy Kimmel had COVID again, and mm-hmm. uh, so the two of them were ho- were hosting together, and they interviewed each other, and they both showed the same clip from the same <laughs> um, Chip and Dale movie. Nice, yeah. Yeah, so that's good, good, uh, good fun. Is it good? I gotta admit, I I was a Rescue Rangers fan back in the day, uh, even though I was probably just a smidge too old for it. I love that series, and uh, and I gotta admit, I I flagged that one for myself to watch sometime over the next couple of weeks. What uh, what'd you think, Jaime? Yeah, I I have to admit that I went in. Um, I didn't intend to go into the movie because when I saw the trailer, I wasn't sold on it. I said. I was a fan of uh, Rescue Rangers TV show as part of the Disney Afternoon growing up as a as a young lad and I this was not that. And then I saw all of the good you know hype on the interwebs and I checked out Rotten Tomatoes and said, "Wait, what? Hmm. It's doing that well? Okay. I guess it's worth a free watch on Disney Plus. Let me check this out." And I'd have to say it's um it's probably best to compare it. So I do like it to, to be really clear. Um and it's best to compare it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So hmm. if Who Framed Roger Rabbit is, uh, in my opinion, a more adult kind of film, it is, uh, you know, Roger Rabbit is a, a film noir take mm-hmm. on um, capitalism and structural racism and redlining. <laughs> it's the very basics of, uh, of yeah, Who Framed Roger that's, Rabbit. That's pretty, that's pretty bang on, yeah. Um, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers is the slightly younger, not, not quite as adult. There's no, like, Jessica Rabbit kind of character, which is probably the biggest take. Um, but it is a, uh, essentially a, a buddy cop film like, um, uh, 48 hours or, or, uh, rush hour or some kind of buddy cop film with, um, human trafficking underneath <laughs> the story, <laughs> but like kids friendly, you know, oh <laughs> so it's got some dark stuff when you're like, yo, this is, this is pretty messed up. Right. But like, I think it's perfectly fine and dandy to watch with kids. They're not, they're not going to really get that part of it. So is there, is there a, a spoiler free way of explaining to me why one of them is cartoon and the other is 3d rendered? Yeah. The part of the premise of them is that they've, uh, they've, you know, had their, their, their celebrity in the past and they had a, a falling out kind of like a breaking up the, of the band kind of thing. And in the intervening years, uh, apparently it's hot to get CGI surgery, what is what they call it. Um, kind of <laughs> okay. like getting Botox or, you know, 
chest implants, you know, whether pectoral or breast kind of implants. And, and they, they heavily reference Alvin and the Chipmunks as a stylistic choice for that. The, 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 the live action uh, CGI Alvin and the Chipmunks. So that, that's canonically why. And, and actually, along that same line, it is actually fairly impressive how many different kinds of animation media are represented in this film. Um, unlike Space Jam 2, which has a weird but incredible set of, of like just flexing from Warner Brothers of like all of these IP that exists under here. This movie not only has a huge flex of what Disney owns, but like they paid buckets of money to some other uh, companies for access to their property. So it actually is, again, kind of like a, a spiritual successor to, to Roger Rabbit. It's the if, if Roger Rabbit is the adult uh, R-rated film, this is the like PG to maybe PG-13 at most uh, young adults film version of that. So I, I, I enjoyed it. it. It was fun. I think it's uh, a good love letter to the show. My, my second pick is Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which I did enjoy. I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as the first Sonic the Hedgehog, um, but it's still a pretty solid showing. Um, Tails is, uh, the flying two-tailed fox is okay, and I kind of feel like that's because the source material isn't that, <laughs> Tails is not a great character. Um, Idris Elba as Knuckles, though, is is brilliant. I love the Knuckles character. So, um I feel like this movie has a lot of uh, good individual scenes. I just didn't really buy the way that they were stitched together, especially the the human centric parts. Hmm. There's, there's a little so, too much so plot saying... convenience for, especially how the human centric parts stitch things together. But it's it's still pretty enjoyable in in a post Sonic world kind of way. So it's worthwhile watching the original Sonic movie. Yeah, I, I definitely say watch the the, the original Sonic movie. Um, this one okay, is. Cool. Is an airplane movie this one? Yeah, it's closer to that. It's definitely one uh, you 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 should watch, if only for Idris Elba's uh, uh, Knuckles character. Um, yeah. yeah, Jim Carrey does a, a pretty decent job, but I think I like Jim Carrey uh, Jim Carrey's uh, Doctor Robotnik in the first one a little bit better. So uh, Ozark just finished. Let's just finished watching season last season six part two of uh, Ozarks, which is the final end of the whole series. Um, um, and the whole premise of of Ozark, essentially, oh, Jonathan, you just started watching it, right? Yes, please don't spoil anything. Well, the whole pro- the whole premise. Okay, then the whole premise of of, <laughs> of Ozarks is, you know, you think you're out, and then they drag you back in mm, again. That's mm-hmm. that. That's all I have to say about that, right? But so, having watched the uh, the 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 final sort of run up to the end, there, um, it kind of has a Sopranos moment at the end, mm. but um, I won't give it away. They, um, yeah, it it. it uh, it's a little disappointing the end of the the whole series or, or where it ends up, but uh, and and maybe there are some things that are sort of predictable, but uh, overall it, it's it's still a fantastic show. It's a great show to watch. Um, yeah, just and you know maybe there's a movie coming. Who knows? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Wifey and I have watched. Uh, I think we're maybe four or five episodes into season one, but it, it's funny because I said mm-hmm. I keep I ask her at the end of every episode. So adult diapers yet? And she says, mm-hmm. no, not yet. Mm-hmm. But she did say the other day, no, but I kind of want to call in sick so we can watch more of it tomorrow. So that's, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. Having gone through watching it for six seasons, like, I can't imagine starting from season one and having to get to the season six without, without the adult diapers and the food delivery, you know, and, and the kids, you know, 
wandering around. It, it, I, I will stuff. admit it's one of those ones that I have had on my Netflix watch list for, for ages because I do like a lot of the people in the cast and I do think, mm-hmm. you know, it, it always seemed good to me and, you know, nobody's ever said a bad word about it. It's always been, oh, it's really good. It's really good. I have been intending to watch it for a long time. Finally, uh, we just, Sherry and I just finished watching uh, the show that we had been watching for a long time, which was Shit's Creek. And, um, mm. We got through that, and I was like, oh, okay, well, what do you want to watch next? She said, oh, well, you know, Tim said this was good. We should watch this. We watched the first episode, and I was like, oh, no. Now I have to watch every episode with her, <laughs> and it's going to take forever. Oh, because you have to Because we have to watch okay. it together, and, you know, when we, we make a point of trying to watch something together, you know, when we can. But I'd say it's probably about four nights a week that the two of us have the same amount of time at the same time where we can sit down and watch something together. And so, yeah, so it's going to take probably till August or so before we get through all of this. I was like, oh, no. Like, I just want to marathon. I said there today, I'm like, oh, yeah, the new season of Stranger, Stranger Things is coming on. And she was like, oh, cool. And I was like, but I am watching it. And she was like, what do you mean? I said, I am not watching all of Ozark. <laughs> first and then watching that and I don't want to stop watching Ozark so that we can watch this so that we can watch these things together I said can't we just watch these separately she's like well that's a terrible attitude I was like well you know this is the this is the challenge that couples face right I know Jaime I know you've lived through this a a, a different version of it but it has the same effect so rather than being blocked by it sounds like your significant other wants to do them sequentially um, mine does not like sequential so we'll have like 20 different series that we're like one or two episodes into and it drives me nuts i'm like no let's just <laughs> let's just binge through one of them finish it and be done with it and move on to the next one mm-hmm. but uh, you know I, I don't want to spend six months going through these series i want to you know just bang them out one week at a time yeah and that's kind of what i said to her was like i said you know it's kind of for the podcast i feel like i should watch stranger things pretty quickly i don't need to watch it in a week but like i kind of would like to get through it pretty quickly and she was quite you know ticked off that i was like drawing a line in the sand it's for work i know it's i'm like the podcast is so important the guys would be so let down but yeah she was like i could watch it with you and then I, it's funny because i said okay sweetie I, I gotta go downstairs and watch uh, obi-wan she's like fine i'm gonna sit here and watch stranger things i was like yep i deserve that i totally deserve that you're right totally <laughs> deserved it 100 percent yeah. Well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I did watch uh, everything everywhere all at once in, in IMAX. It is a, it's a different experience than um, just watching it on a smaller screen like we did when we first saw it. Was it, it. filmed in IMAX? It was a great movie. Was huh? it filmed for IMAX? Yes, it was filmed in IMAX. Oh. Yeah. It, but yeah. the thing about it is, for some reason, it was only it only played for one day in, in any one theater that I that I could find in the history of it, mm. right? So yeah, it is. It it is actually. It was actually done for IMAX uh, theaters. And as I said before, you know, the, it was interesting because certain scenes are framed different ways. I mean, because with IMAX, you get like you know, if you watch Dark Knight on IMAX, you'll see that most of the movies filmed in you know sixteen by nine or whatever that ratio is, right? Letterbox. Yep. And then there are a few scenes where it goes to the full screen, right? Um, full IMAX, you know, four by three or four by five. Where does everyone need <laughs> Um that that sort of you know old television format right and and uh but what i noticed about this was was odd because some of the scenes are like um you know they have the black bars on the side so so it's kind of like the opposite of letterbox yeah it's like television box yeah 
Yeah, it was kind of, kind of, it was kind of weird that way. Um, in that sense, like you know, the scenes where the the two rocks are talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, you know, in in the universe where the life didn't evolve, that was like full, like full screen panorama, amazing, you know, <laughs> uh, view kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, and and you know, but other scenes like like the regular the regular scenes were just regular like movie like letterbox kind of stuff, and but occasionally, yeah, it was just. It was interesting. Like, I'd have to go back and sort of analyze why they use certain framing, but you can only do it by watching the IMAX movie, which is ironic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And the other movie I want to see, which is interesting, and, and I can see why um, Maverick, um, Top Gun Maverick is coming out this weekend, because obviously it's it's Memorial Day weekend, Veterans Day weekend. What's the other name for it? I mean, there's three of them. Um it's like is Memorial it Day is if you Day? haven't been. Uh, no, it's something. I, I see. I, I see what you mean when you say the three. It was confusing. So in the final Monday of May, I think is how it works, is Memorial Day, or maybe it's always like 29th, 30th. I forget how they they do that. Uh, that's Memorial Day. Uh, so that's for the the military folks who have, have passed, right? Like they're you're honoring their 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 sacrifice and their memory. You've got. Um, Veterans Day, which is for everybody who's, you know, active military kind of thing and and in past military, right? So so service folks. Is it same day same day of the year or different oh, day? That's a good question. I always think of it as being November like tenth or eleventh. Maybe yeah, it's always November eleventh. Yeah, November eleventh. Yeah. Yeah, it's eleventh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I for some of these I can't remember if they're um actual specific days or there's also a lot of weird like observed type stuff in I don't know what the third one is that you're talking about. The the closest thing I can think of is Labor Day in September, but that's not it's no, not military it's one. I, I thought Carol kind of sort of said it it had three different names. I was always known as Memorial Day, the day after, because it's the week after we have our Victoria Day, which is Queen Victoria's birthday. I mean, very supposedly. very quickly, the the major holidays in the U.S. of A. are um, you know going to be New Year's Day normally martin luther king day memorial day independence day might be the one you're thinking of there maybe labor day veterans day thanksgiving day christmas day yeah no okay yeah i thought there was another one all right never mind but i can see why that why why this movie comes out on on this weekend but was odd was it was because i i do i having seen the 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 trailer in imax i do want to see or that preview that we went and that we saw the other day I i am actually interested in seeing the movie just for the the effects of the, the the planes flying around, um, I don't know if I'll really care about the rest of the plot of the story. Or, or you know, Jennifer Connelly wouldn't wouldn't be bad in IMAX. Too, no. but um, not huh? she's not bad in any form. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, and and sort of the way that the all of the, all of the actors that I've seen interviewed on this spent so much time in the planes that some of them actually went and got their pilot license. That's how much time they spent actually flying these things, right? Uh, making this movie so um uh, and just as a side note um i think last year tom cruise took james corden and strapped him to himself and jumped out of an, a plane and with a parachute right and the two of them like went through the whole thing this weekend or this this uh, week's uh exploit was he took um james corden and put him in a in one of these jets and then Blew him around and did all the crazy, you know, um, loops and barrel rolls and G forces and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of funny to see the two of them go through all that stuff. And they did it in two different planes, but it was, it was kind of funny. But 
So I, I'm interested to see this movie in, in in the theaters. But what was interesting about that was I looked. I was looking at the times because it came out um, today, and so I wanted to see. Right, you know, I have, a few, I have a few IMAX theaters around me. One is near Jonathan's house. A couple of them are downtown Toronto. Um, and it's interesting to see like where it's not playing in IMAX in some some theaters, and it is playing in IMAX in other theaters. And then, but looking at the number of theaters that are showing like screenings that they have of this show. It's less than Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is odd because how many weeks ago did that come out? Three, three, four weeks. Yeah. Like, and and looking at the seating, like you know, when you look, you can see the available seating. They're not like like they're showing twenty screenings of of Doctor Strange to like four or five screenings of Top Gun, which makes to me makes no sense. Like you know, other than like why like. A, you know, like they're not going to sell the seats for um, Doctor Strange. I would have thought everybody who wanted to see that movie would have already seen well, it, right? Given the fact that when we saw it, it was pretty ghost towny in there, other than us. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I can't imagine you know filling out. I, I did happen. To, I did happen to look at one of the theater showings today for for um, Maverick, and it's that's com- like the whole theater solid. Like you're talking like that's like a Danger Will Robinson kind of scenario mm-hmm. in my mind, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, so that's those are my picks, and uh, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you, where would they find I'm you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. Alrighty, and uh, and YouTube as well. YouTube, you can follow me at at Jonathan Kuline because I'm working very close to ten thousand followers on my channel now. I would love to have you there. Nice, nice, good. And uh, Jaime, how about you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So, till next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the SpotCast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. followers is that just from all the music videos you've been putting yep. up oh cool yeah i it it's funny how it broke because i i was posting videos again I, I like now you're now are you monetizing now because you've got the only no because the only thing that i'm monetizing is because all the songs are copyright right of course if you film yeah. a, a concert yeah. video, the only one that i get money off of is i have a video from uh when billy eilish came and played toronto she played a 600 person venue on one of it's like mm. her second time she was ever in toronto sherry and i happened to get tickets and went and uh, and saw her when she was 16 play a show and it was on her mom's mm. birthday so she sings happy birthday to her mom <laughs> for which i make about 50 cents a month because nice. it's been watched thousands of times
People really want to watch a one-minute video of Billie Eilish singing happy birthday to her mom. So much so that I get paid for it every month. But other than that, uh, it gives you an option when you're uploading videos to to demonetize them. And I, I always select that as the default because I do not own any of these songs. I am just capturing them when yeah. I go to shows, mostly because I'm very tall. My wife is very not tall and uh, she can't see everything. So yeah. I make a video right. so that she can be like, oh, that's what their legs look like. So, yeah. So, you know, you can put start, start, uh, Spotcast swag on your channel because I'm, I'm trying to get to a point where I, have a th- I can't do any t-shirts and stuff until I have a thousand followers on our, on our channel. You, you let me know how that's done and I'm here for you. All right. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm at, at like 9,800 and change. You, you need to be at a thousand followers. Like, so you're, you're like 9,000 opportunities away from having swag on your show on your channel yeah xavier told me the other day because he was laughing because he's like cannot believe your channel has that many follows on it and i said you know what it is is that uh we went to a couple of shows and i was you know making some videos some better than others um Mm. but we went to go see like four years ago we saw an up-and-coming young artist by the name of dua lipa who Mm -hmm. has since gone on to be one of the biggest pop artists on the planet and uh so I've made like two or three videos or three or four videos that night of her uh, down at Echo Beach dancing and singing mm-hmm. and the whole bit. And each of those videos has like over a million views. Wow. You have no playlist. I got to show you how to optimize your. Oh, own I'm sure you could. Again, it's, for me, it's I'm I am literally putting stuff up there so that I can send a link to my wife and say, see how good the show was yeah. from up here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. From 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 people who could see it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do the same thing. I mean, I, 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 I post things that. Uh, like, yeah, I want to see the Pixies play Where Is My Mind, for sure, yep. right? But I, I post things um, to my channel that are, that are uh, obviously, some of them are episodes from more than just code, but, uh, like, I just published one yesterday, by the way, Jaime. But, um, the um, like, a lot of times it's like like um, Xanadu played by, you know, um, those guys. Primus, like, yeah. Primus, yeah. Primus, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got that uh, slotted. It hasn't, uh, so I've got, uh, a bit of a backlog on video, so I just set them all basically to to debut one at noon every day for the next I don't know what three weeks um, mm-hmm. from all the stuff that I've seen this spring. So uh, I just worked my way through uh, churches and then Lord Broken Social Scene. I think Lights mm-hmm. is now going up, and then um, yeah, there's still a few concerts behind of uh, of shows. But yeah, the Primus I did record. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about? And, yeah, what's that? You, you know, we didn't talk. You're a fan of Depeche Mode, right? I know. Andy Fletcher died yesterday. Yeah, and then Alan White from the Plastic Ono Band, and yes, also. And Ray Liotta. Yeah, it's been a bad week. Yeah, Ray Liotta. That was an odd one. Yeah, it, you know, again, he, he, I had not, I must admit, seen a lot of his movies in the last number of years, but I mean, God, Goodfellas just made him for life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, one yeah. of the best performances and one of the best movies of all time, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's a an essential movie it really is and it's been so it's crossed so far into the zeitgeist now that like people do like the simpsons did a a goodfellas episode family guy did a goodfellas like it's just it's it's part of the culture now that ray liotta voiceover right i always Mm -hmm. knew i wanted to be a gangster ever since i was a little kid Mm -hmm. i always wanted to i wanted to be a gangster yeah, it's uh, yeah. I saw Fletch died yesterday. That was that was uh, yeah. It was shocking, and he was only sixty. So I mean, well, they were just going to go on tour, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. And um, and it's funny because um, Alan Wilder had already quit the band like twenty years ago because he was 
just burned mm-hmm. out because they were all like massive drug addicts and stuff for a while there. And so he quit. And so it was just a trio. And then now Fletch is gone. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously Dave and, um, and Martin are sort of the heart of the band, but it's still, it's just, yeah, it's such a huge bummer when I, I'm sure you've experienced this more so than me, but it, it, it's, it's, you get to that point of like more and more of your sort of boyhood uh, idols are, are kicking the bucket and not uh, in dying in car crashes or drove drug overdoses, but dying of old age. Um, yeah, it's, it's a huge bummer. Yeah. And, and not really old, old age. No, exactly. Know? Like 60s. That's a crime. Like, God, that's way too yeah. young to be gone. But yeah, no, it's it's a it's a bummer.